afternoon and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are going to be playing uh, uh, a couple of uh, shows from the archives. Uh, we started last Wednesday with the Martin Luther King Jr. special programming from 2009. And, you know, that was the year that you know, this nation elected its first black president, and we had our first black first family in the in the uh, the black hands built <laughs> White House. You know, is that kind of a um, sort of a statement in contrast? And and so I wasn't able to um, to play the uh, interview from last year with uh, a brother Charles Curtis Blackwell poet, playwright, activist, artivist, um, who is the subject of the film God-Given Talent. And uh, he was in conversation with Reverend Clarence Johnson, a veteran of the Civil Rights Movement, and uh, and it was a really, really uh, great conversation. And, um, and as you know, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was Monday, the 17th of January, and we are still celebrating a new year. And what a, what better way to um, to bring in a new year than with reflections on the life of a man who represented, you know, love and action. So we're going to continue playing uh, this particular, uh, sort of thematically, uh, some of the um, programs from the archive that, you know, um, highlight his work. And so as I mentioned, I'm going to play that interview which was recorded last year. <laughs> and uh and then um we'll see um sort of how long that this this um program this particular program lasts and um and whether or not I want to play the whole program which um which actually ends with an interview with the director of the uh Pear Theater. And uh, and right now, I believe it's still up. They are um, um, they have a play up, which I really really enjoy. Um, gosh, what's it called? Oh my goodness! Um, I think it's called From the Mountaintop, and uh, it's a revisioning of the conversation that Dr. King had and and what he was thinking about the night before. Um, you know that tragic um, incident where where he was killed. So, enjoy. Oh, stop. Oh, that's Sandy must, he must have punched one. Right, don't worry about it. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Ticks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are real excited today to be speaking to um, Charles Curtis Blackwell, um, poet, playwright, activist, or artivist, and uh, and Reverend Clarence Johnson, uh, a veteran of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, to talk about the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who would have been 92 today had he lived. And this weekend is one that culminates in Dr. King's birthday. But it's a weekend of service, and there's a whole lot we should be talking about and thinking about. And I think, um, I don't know, it'd be really it's really great that we're – fortunate enough to have these two men with us in the studio. And uh, so how do we want to start? Um, Charles, do you want to give a little opening remarks about uh, our special guest? And then um, and then um, 
I can read more about your bio. How do you want to do this? Okay, I'll uh, I'll start to just with a little bit I know about uh, Reverend uh, Clarence Johnson. Uh, <laughs> we had, I guess he found out that we had something in common. Uh, his background is Greenwood, Mississippi, and uh, I was I was actually born in California, but my folks are from Mississippi, and so I would go uh, every summer, and I had a it was like an education because the signs were posted, you know, no Negroes allowed, whites only, or the post the signs were posted. So, uh, and his background, which is really amazing, at an early age he was involved in the civil rights movement. Uh, and uh, maybe I'm uh, I'm gonna let him uh, just go ahead tell tell us a little bit about uh, you know you 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 were you were a teenager early early involved. Indeed, I was, Brother Charles and Sister Wanda. Thank you both for having me on the on the show this morning. I am uh, most appreciative and um, just delighted to be here with you. But I was born in the Mississippi Delta town of Greenwood. Uh, my oldest brother, uh, Elder Aaron Johnson, uh, in addition to being my brother, he was also my pastor, and he was involved uh, uh, with the um, uh, NAACP, uh, with um, with Metka Evers and some of the others who were leading lights uh, in the uh, in the uh, civil rights movement. Uh, in August of um, 1963, as a 14-year-old, I had the opportunity to uh, travel on the bus with several others from Greenwood to the March on Washington. Uh, many of us, the, the teenagers, we had heard Dr. King before, and we appreciated um, Dr. King's um, presence among us. Uh, because of him, all of us walked a little taller. Uh, we felt a little bit better about ourselves, uh, you know, because of um, um, the power of his presence, but also of his ability to to speak and make things very, very clear to us. One of the first lessons that we learned was that um, our battle, you know, for freedom, for equality, for justice, is never with other individuals. Uh, we fight against uh, not people but against uh, unjust policies, practices, and principles. And if we keep that in mind, we understand that all of us, you know, were created by the, uh, by the same maker. And in a real sense, we are all um, brothers and sisters, and we're working toward, you know, the kind of unity that would allow everyone to, to receive the respect that they deserve as a result of their, of their humanity. Um, Dr. King was uh, uh, very, very important. Uh, he gave us a lot of inspiration. And for those of us who were involved in the civil rights movement uh, as teenagers and, and others, uh, we were impacted by another group of youngsters, uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. Uh, they came in to do voter registration for many of our uh, neighbors and family members who had never had the opportunity to vote. And so as a result of what happened on um, January the 5th uh, in the state of Georgia, when we, see, um, when we saw two um, members um, elected to the United States Senate uh, as a result of work that was, was um, begun in many ways you know, in the early 60s and continued to grow over the years, we were very, very proud to see um, a, a staff member of um, – uh, former Congressman John Lewis, John Ossoff, uh, who was elected to the United States Senate, and also uh, Reverend uh, Warnock, 
who is the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, the church where Dr. King served. But to see these two uh, giants now in the um, in the movement for justice, freedom, and equality elected to the United States Senate um, uh, just made us very, very happy. Uh, and um, um, the the contributions that Dr. King made continue, uh, you know, to bear fruit uh, even in um, 2021 in the midst of a uh, of a, um, a pandemic, uh, in the midst of uh, unrest. Uh, in the midst of economic crisis, um, we are still able to find strength uh, in the uh, in the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, those who were involved with the NAACP, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Congress of Racial Equality, and of course um, um, SCLC. Uh, and uh, we're just grateful. I'm grateful uh, as I reflect on that um, at this point um, in my life as a 71-year-old. You know. I can't help but think that Stacey Abrams, and I, I, I mentioned her name because I I told someone the other day ago, uh, you know, she ran for governor of Georgia, and she didn't she didn't win the election. But nobody knows the governor's name, yet uh, the whole country knows the name Stacey Abrams because, you know, she's become the, you might say, the powerful uh, force behind that election and, a mover and a shaker behind the scenes and an organizer. And, and so everybody knows who's in following the likes of uh, or the influence of, uh, and I'm assuming, I don't know if she, she, if, she, if she was even around during the time of King, but it's definitely got to be some kind of an influence of, of King, uh, you know, his uh, uh, his tactics and his organizing, you know. Of course, he never would in, endorse a political candidate. He always said, uh, the, the one thing he did regarding Fannie Lou Hamer, he said, you know, seek the Freedom Democratic Party, you know. And when you see footage of that, that where she they attended the convention, the, the Democratic convention, you could understand why, you know, uh, you know, they did a separate group, the Freedom Democratic Party, because uh, even the racism came out at, at the convention, you know, they're being heckled and, and uh, uh, you know, with the the word nigger, I mean, thrown at him. You know, I'm going. To, it was amazing because, you know. So anyway, as uh, Stacey Abrams is kind of like in, following the likes of, uh, you know, we we could name one after the other: A. Philip Randolph, uh, uh, Ida B. Wells, uh, Martin Luther King. You know, following in that in that spirit, of definitely done made a mark. Uh, so, uh, uh, well, Wanda, uh, go ahead. I know you got some questions. Well, I was just thinking, uh, Charles, um, thank you for, for your uh, reflections, that um, at the time when, um, you know, the, this this election happened in Georgia, it was um, a time similar to with uh, to when um, Fannie Lou Hamer, um, you know, our, our Shiro, um, was, you know, was there and, and wanting to be seated, right, um, at the, uh, the convention. And 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 when she was talking, um, you know Johnson, the president at that time, he um, he had a he interrupted so that the the nation wouldn't hear what was she was saying um, with with you know because if the president is on then all the channels go to him, so he was interrupting what she said and so I mean eventually you know later on, it, you know everyone was able to hear what she said because they recorded it. 
But, you know, just sort of looking at, at parallels between this political time and that political time. And uh, and I'm sure um, I was just, uh, when I was reading your, you know, reading uh, some of the information about, about you, um, uh, uh, Reverend um, C. Johnson, Johnson, I had like a different, I had the wrong name for you, so I have to make sure I'm, <laughs> I have it correct. Um, I was just thinking about, you know, uh, I read, you know, that you're you're a storyteller, and as well as you could talk a little bit about um, sort of this cyclical nature of history and, and how, like, oh, okay. So you already had a rehearsal for this particular period because you've already done it. <laughs> so it's coming back again, right? And I was just wondering um, if sort of what, you, what you're thinking and, and what you're telling your congregation and what kind of work you all are doing on the ground here, you know, in Oakland, you know, at your church um, and, in you know, in the constituencies, you know, that you are a part of. Because I was just thinking, um, and what I wanted you to talk about as well this morning was, um, you know, the beloved community and and, and what Bell Hooks called um, Dr. King's love ethic and, and just the whole idea of how you were able to, to, to face, you know, such um, hatred and venom. I mean, it was really, really, really dangerous for you all to be doing what you were doing, and you just kept on doing it. And, and you mm-hmm. are a veteran, and I'm so happy, you know, that, that that's acknowledged because it, it was a war. And it continues to be a war because it's not like it's over, you know. Um, you talk about the war against terror and terrorism, but this war, you know, that seeks to keep people divided, you know, on these, these um, on racial, um, uh, you know, in, in around race and, and economics and, and sexuality and all kinds of things, you know. Um, I'm sure, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, you were trained <laughs> to address these things. And you did address them. Well, well we, we learned, Sister Wanda and Brother Charles, by, by doing. Uh, in the 1960s, um, 63 and 64, when I was 13 and 14 years old, there were an, a group of young people with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee who came to Greenwood. Greenwood uh, and the whole Mississippi Delta was, was known as the Bible Belt. And so most of the African-Americans who were there were people who were steeped in religious tradition. Uh, We believed, uh, and we still believe, that God was on our side. Uh, And um, they would have what they called in those days mass meetings, where people would assemble at a particular church, and you'd have speakers who, who would be there to let us know, you know, what was the uh, the next set of plans for for uh, getting um, uh, people registered to vote who had never registered to vote before. Uh, and in those mass meetings, you know, there were there were always people who were were singing songs like "This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Sign." Ain't going to let nobody turn me around. I'm going to keep on a walk and keep on a talking, marching up that freedom way. And those songs just gave us the, the energy, the strength, um, you know, to, uh, to do what was necessary in terms of um, uh, any kind of demonstrations that were required. Uh, Brother Charles mentioned uh, Sister Fannie Lou Hamer, who was from Ruleville, Mississippi, just a few miles from my hometown of Greenwood. Mm-hmm. And um, she had been a former sharecropper. Uh, and was recruited to to be a part of the movement. Uh, as you well know, she had a uh, a saying: "I'm sick and tired, and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. We have to mm. change the situation." Uh, and uh, because of her um, 
because of her courage and because of her strength, because of her will. Uh, and we would hear her speak in those mass meetings and others, you know, like uh, Stokely Carmichael and some of the others. Uh, we were just moved. Uh, we were just moved. Uh, my home church, which was East Percy Street Christian Church, was one of the places where people could assemble for those mass meetings. Uh, I remember also going to uh, Turner's Chapel uh, AME Church with um, uh, another place where, you know, we saw some of the uh, key figures in the in the civil rights movement uh, uh, during those days. Uh, over at Wesley Chapel uh, United Methodist Church, uh, we heard for the first time Dick Gregory, who came. Uh, he was a comedian uh, from Chicago, uh, and he just had such humor. He gave us the opportunity to laugh in the midst of all of the strife we were going through, uh, and, and those kinds of things also gave us gave us a lot of courage as well. Um, Dr. King's uh, letter from the Birmingham jail uh, was written, uh, and he sent it to many of the pastors throughout the South. My brother, who was uh, my pastor, received one of those one of those letters, and he was able to underline some of the key passages uh, in that uh, mm-hmm. in that letter. Uh, uh, I, I have a copy of that now, uh, and it's it's really inspirational. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I look wow. at that. But those kinds of things. L- let me just touch on the on the fear. Uh, you know, the fear was was real. And for people to get enough courage to uh, to go out uh, and register to try to register the vote, you know, in in, in 63 or 64, required a lot of courage. Uh, it required a lot of strength because they would put their their lives on the line. Uh, they would put the um, the well-being of their families on the line. One such man. Uh, was kicked off of the plantation because he chose to go to register the vote, uh, and uh, you know because of that, uh, you know he was in he was in pretty dire straits in terms of his ability to put food on the table for his for his family members, uh, and so Medgar Evers, who was uh, the um, the uh, leader of the NAACP in Mississippi, came to our home church. Uh, in uh, 1963, in the spring of 1963, and he brought a check for $100, and he presented that check uh, in our church. I was on the front row, the first and only time I had a chance to see Mega Evers. Uh, but this was—he gave this $100 check to to this uh, person who had been kicked off of the plantation, and in '63, $100 was a lot of money. And he was able then to, he was able then to, you know, uh, get some of the necessities uh, for his family. Um, there were people from the north, you know, who sent food down to Mississippi, because if you would go to register, try to register the vote, you know, you would uh, you would lose your job, uh, and you wouldn't have food. And so they sent food from the north. Uh, our church was a uh, was a site where that food was stored, and people would come by the hundreds to uh, to get food so that they could um, so that they could uh, feed their families uh, as they uh, braved all of the um, uh, the barriers that that, that were set uh, uh, before them. But there there was help coming from all kinds of places uh, during during that time. But 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 when you when you are able to face fear with your faith. Uh, it's amazing, you know, how how emboldened you become in that kind of situation, even though your life is on the line and the life of your family members on the line. Uh, I, I cite fear because many of those persons, particularly those who are in the Republican Party uh, in, in in 2021, uh, they they chose um, to to 
give in to to their fears uh, because their families uh, were threatened and their lives were threatened. And so because of that, they chose to do something that, in my opinion, was immoral, unjust, and certainly not right uh, to go along, you know, with uh, uh, with a big lie uh, about uh, the um, the outcome of the election uh, in November of 2020. Uh, those persons were not able to to summon the courage to stand up to to injustice, to stand up to threats, uh, to stand up to blackmail, and say, "Look, you know, um, this is the right thing to do, and uh, I'm going to do it, uh, regardless to to the outcome." Uh, that was the difference that I see in terms of the way uh, folk. Uh, uh, were able to address fear, which was really, really real, and it's still real now. You you put your lives on the line when you stand up for truth and justice. Dr. King paid the price for that uh, with his life. Medgar Evers paid the price for that with his life. You have those three civil rights workers, uh, Cheney, Goodman, and Schroener, who paid the price, you know, for for standing up to. Um, uh, to injustice and discrimination, uh, saying, "Look, this is not right, and um, we're going to we're going to stand we're going to stand against it." Um, so those were some of the lessons, you know, that I learned. Uh, finally, let me just say that Dr. King um, would often say, you know, that we have a choice: uh, chaos or community. Uh, and yeah. uh, in, in, in making making a decision on to how we're going to how we're going to live our lives, if we choose chaos, we stay in the grip of hatred, uh, we stay in the grip of fear, uh, we st- stay in a place you know where we cower, you know to those forces that would keep us uh, in, a, in a situation where we're dehumanized and that we're not seen as human. But if we face that, we can come together as community, as the uh, as the um, beloved community where all of us recognize our worth, we recognize our value, we recognize that uh, we are all brothers and sisters cut from the same fabric, you know, as it were. Uh, and so those were some of the lessons that we learned. Uh, and, and, and one of the big ones was knowing that God was on our side, and if God is for us, who can be against us? And we were able to put that fear behind us. Uh, and so in 1965, when my mother was able to register the vote for the first time uh, after the voting rights bill was passed. Uh, most of the homes uh, in my area in the Mississippi Delta, most of the homes in the African-American community, there were pianos, uh, even though there were people who in some cases could not play those pianos. But everybody had a piano because it was a status symbol. And on the top of that piano, you know, there were, there were pictures. It was, a, it was a place of prominence. Um, there, there were pictures of Jesus, of course. Uh, when um, John F. Kennedy was assassinated, his picture was placed, you know, on the top of that piano as a, as a place of respect. And so when her mother registered to vote for the first time in 1965, her voting uh, registration certificate was placed on the top of that piano. Uh, and it stayed there as long as she lived. When Dr. King was assassinated in 1968, his picture also went on that on that piano. And when we would walk through our living room and see those pictures, uh, again we were emboldened, you know, by those persons who had impacted our lives, who had given us enough courage, you know, to put aside fear uh, and do what was right in spite of the uh, the potential consequences. And and again, 
we walk a little taller, we stand a little taller uh, because of those heroes and heroines uh, who, who, who paid a tremendous price, you know, that we could, we could be a part of this democracy uh, and that, um, and that we, could, we could move in a, in a positive direction, uh, making things better uh, for, for all Americans and for people all around the world. It's funny you said uh, the thing. Of, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Wanda. Oh um, no, you go ahead, Charles. I can, I can, um, I can come after you. Go ahead. He mentioned the thing about the the picture, and I do remember that. And in, in some sometimes the poorest of the poor, because I was in uh, where the county was. Uh, uh, I think Neshoba County and uh, Kemper County, go uh, east of uh, east of where you were in uh, Greenwood, and um, I would. It, it, you know the welcoming of, of poor people in, into into their their house, and and sometimes you might call it a, a good shack, maybe you know the houses on stilts, so the you know waters could run underneath heavy rains, you know, and uh, people had a, a a picture of Kennedy and and a picture of uh, Martin Luther King on the wall, maybe because they they didn't have a pianos, and uh, uh, then uh, now now here's the flip side: there was a shotgun. Uh, maybe in the corner. <laughs> so it was, it was, he had these other the other sides, you know. And uh, 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 you know, as as we look back on it, uh, I think, you know, you look at I, I can understand King, a picture of King. And the more I got into, you know, when you're in high school, and I was telling this friend the other day ago, he said, uh, "Oh, these these people are ill-educated. These people that uh, charged on the Capitol the other day ago." You know they 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 they're not a, they they're they 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 don't want to learn. They were ill-educated. I said, wait a minute, man. They attended the same schools we attended, with this slanted uh, 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 textbooks of of history that you know this falsehood. And um, I read uh, Howard Zinn, uh, People's History of the United States, and and even when I got to college, uh, the history was far better because I, I got an S in history when I was in high school and. Uh, well, let me add. I was I was in a busing program, and uh, it wasn't it was not a pleasant experience. And the first day we showed up, uh, white uh, white women came out from the community to protest. They they didn't want us there. And uh, and and anyway, in the end of the year, the my ninth grade year turned into a racial riot at at the high school. And so uh, and 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 the cold thing about it is, you you want to see hatred, you would think teachers would break up the fight. The teachers were busy, busy yelling, you damn niggers. So that really tells you. And so what I saw the other day ago with, with the Capitol in Washington, D.C., I, I, I told my friend, I said, man, this, this is a descendant. This, this is the same thing, what I experienced in high school. And then, uh, so in talking about the history, you know, it's, it's how it then said it so good. He said, uh, when you were in junior high, when you were in high school, they told you how great this president was. Uh, they told you all the great things he did. They told you how great this nation and how it's been says, I'm going to give you the dirt. I'm going to tell you the truth on what this country is really all about. And when people really hear the truth, you know, they begin, sometimes they begin to re- can they reexamine themselves and think another way and realize that just like what you said, we're all from the same fabric. But as it is, it's this class, uh, caste, and this uh, this hatred that's connected to this society, and this guy named Ball, I can't remember his first name. He wrote a book uh, when he, he found out that his great great grandfather was part of the Confederacy and later became part of the uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, he pointed out that 
the policies that were implemented by white racists throughout the southern states and, and, and throughout this country of policies and, and programs and, and it's basically they laid the foundation. So when when everybody came, all these people came from Europe into uh, uh, Ellis Island, everything was laid out for them, and it was against us. And so, you know, like what was the guy's name, Milton Friedman, made that, making that statement, you know, uh, oh, my, my father came from uh, um, Europe, and he worked his sweatshop, and he achieved, and, and I managed to go to, go to college and, and get a PhD. And, and what's wrong with the blacks in this country? Well, just like the, the guy Bob said, everything was laid out for him, and King, King addressed that too, just the mere fact that you can talk about how your grandfather, your, your, your father, and you achieved in a short amount of time shows you that there's something wrong in this country regarding blacks in this country and how you can achieve and we still can't achieve. And, he, and King pointed that out also. You know, you know, the amazing thing about King is that he could attack on all sides. He could attack the system. He could attack whatever it was. It's like he was ready. And he's like, you might remember he received the Nobel Prize, and he goes to Chicago to open up open up shop in Chicago with SCLC, and uh, on the West Side, and uh, Mayor Daly is, oh yes, we're so glad to have you here, and and, and I can assure you, uh, uh, Chicago is nothing like what you've experienced in the South. Martin Luther King was ready for Daly. I, I must, he, I mean, he had the inside on Daly, and when he got finished talking. Daly's face was rearranged. It was so amazing. And, I, and, and the part about it, like, he wasn't scared of Daly, like uh, uh, Pastor Johnson is talking about fear. King wasn't hardly scared of uh, uh, Daly. He was, he was ready for him. He, he was attacking Johnson. I mean, not Johnson. What's the name? Uh, Daly. He was confronting him. And, I mean, you're talking about somebody teed off. Man, Daly was teed off. But, but King didn't care. He just kept on going like a bulldozer. And it was amazing to see that, you know. Uh, go, go ahead, Wanda. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm gonna let <laughs> uh, Reverend Johnson respond. And before I uh, give my comments, I I just um when you were talking about the uh, letter from Birmingham jail, I I like for you to come back to that um, after you finish responding to Charles. Uh, Dr. King was a um, was a man of faith. Um, he was a man who believed deeply uh, in God. Um, he uh, understood uh, the Bible, uh, but he was also a, a very well-educated man as well. Um, he was um, probably uh, at least a third-generation uh, pastor, uh, preacher uh, there in Atlanta. And so he was able then to to find those principles of love, that were expressed and written uh, in the Bible, and connect those with Gandhi's principles of um, of nonviolence, uh, and join those two principles together as a uh, as a guide, um, you know, as a as a plan, you know, to to confront uh, discrimination uh, and racism and the Jim Crow policies of the South, uh, and they were. They were very, very successful, but it was it was the love, you know, that um, that um, that was the bedrock of, of 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 what he of what he was about. Uh, as a result of that, he was able to um, uh, enlist a lot of people from different backgrounds. There were a lot of whites who were supportive, you know, of the of the civil rights movement. Uh, many of them were people of faith and clergy. 
Uh, many of them were students. Um, in 1964, uh, the long, hot summer, uh, students came from all across America, you know, to come down to Mississippi to help with voter registration. Uh, and these these young students were also trained in the tactics of, of, of nonviolence. And as they would come to those mass meetings, they would hear the songs, uh, and they would they would feel the the fervor of, of those folk who, who who believed, you know, that uh, that we were doing the right thing and that God was on our side. Uh, as we look back over over those years from the 60s to where we are now, and we see where we have African Americans who are mayors of of cities all across this country, where we see the impact that African Americans voting has made uh, in this country as we move this democracy toward a more perfect union. You know, we're not quite where we should be, but we are going in the right direction. And there were people from from all walks of life uh, across this country and around the world who were supportive because they, they saw they saw the human connection. Uh, many of them, like Valo Luizzo, uh, a, a, a housewife from Michigan who who was killed in the civil rights movement. Reverend James Reed, uh, who was one of those who was was on those bus rides, was lost his life. And there were many others who who stood tall, who put their lives and their jobs on the line uh, to make sure uh, that we would move toward these principles that that make America, you know, the the kind of country that uh, we think it should be. And we're still going in that direction uh this this election uh in um in november of 2020 um is is an indication you know that those things that dr king worked for uh those things that he went to jail for uh those things that he shed his blood for that those things are still uh bearing good fruit just now you know um uh, joseph biden for instance uh was a was a um was a good friend and supporter of uh, Aaron Henry, who was the president of the uh, NAACP uh, in, in Mississippi. And uh, sometimes you need to have supporters that you can go to. Uh, and Joseph Biden, back in the 60s, was a strong, strong supporter. Uh, and uh, that's why I have such great respect for him now. Uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris um, I had a chance to work with her when she ran for district attorney in, in San Francisco. I uh, had a chance to vote for her when she ran as the attorney general in California and when she ran as senator in California. And to see her uh, now as the vice president-elect and, and um, uh, Joseph Biden as the president-elect, all of those things you know, are, are encouraging because they were, they were on the foundation of those good principles that that uh, uh, that were able to to emerge uh, during the civil rights movement and even beyond the civil rights movement a Philip Randolph and some of the other great um, uh, great leaders in the civil rights movement uh, uh, were were people who, who who made a significant difference and and we're seeing the the fruits of that now um, more than um, 81 million people uh, voted uh, for um, for this this ticket that's that's going to assume power uh, uh, on um, the 20th of, of January, that is that is important. Uh, that is that is significant, and we should not lose we should not lose sight of that. Uh, this beloved community is coming together. You have people from all walks of life. Dr. King, though he was a Christian, 
understood, you know, that, that, that people of other uh, faith traditions, you know, whether you were a Buddhist or whether you were Hindu, whether you were Muslims, that we were all a part of this, of this fabric of humanity. Uh, we're all, uh, you, know, cut, you know, from the, from the same fabric, and we should have respect for each other. Uh, we should love each other. We should speak truth to power. Uh, and not only should we, we speak truth to power, we should live, you know, those principles that we, we talk about. You know, we should not, um, we should not live as, as hypocrites, but we should live as, as people of faith uh, and uh, uh, make sure that um, we follow those biblical principles to do unto others as you would have them uh, do unto you. Uh, to use our time wisely, whether, you're, whether you are, um, you know, um, in college, uh, to use that time wisely, in Mississippi, Tougaloo College, the college that I graduated from, was one of the few places in, in the 60s where people could come together and associate freely uh, as interracial um, communities. Uh, there were other places that, uh, you know, if, if there were blacks and whites and people from the uh, Latino community or the Asian community all coming together in one place, you know, you would be in serious danger. But at Tougaloo College in, in the 60s, that was a place where you could find a safe haven. Uh, and, you know, you had the likes of, uh, of Robert F. Kennedy who could come there and, and, and speak to a group of people. You know, you had people like Harry Belafonte and some of the others who were involved in the civil rights movement who who gave uh, not only their their time and their talent but they gave money you know to uh, to make sure uh, that we had the resources necessary to, to to fight this fight to make America um, you know a, a bright and shining light on the hill uh, to, to 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 move this democracy toward a more perfect union and we're still moving uh, uh, in that direction uh, in 2021 and we will continue to move in that direction uh, God be in our help yes <clears throat> wow this is such a great conversation and um, going back to your um, uh, you're talking about the letter from the Birmingham jail and how copies were made. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And and I don't know if, if our listeners all remember that story that um, when uh, Dr. King was um, in that jail, um, you know, sort of cut off from everyone, he wrote the uh, this particular letter was written, I think, on tissue paper, and it was smuggled out um, with his attorney, um, and 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 speechwriter um, who lives in San Francisco Bay Area, um, Mr. Uh, Clarence Jones, and um, and and so I was just wondering if if you wanted to share any of that speech with our audience because it is uh, it, it's in one of my textbooks I teach it <laughs> to one of my to my students it is it is it is so so compassionate you know we we hear the word empathy is is a is a buzzword now, and um, and and empathy is is certainly I believe empathy is is love in action because if you can put yourself like you know you can't experience it directly, um, but you really want to understand what someone else is going through, and and then see if you can feel that you know in yourself, and and that that particular. Um, I guess presentation or, or or viewpoint influence how you move, which would be totally different if you hadn't you know tried to see things from another perspective, um, to have some kind of to change your attitude and change your way of thinking, 
um, if at all possible. And so anyway, I just wondered if you could share that. And uh, and then and then I wanted you to talk a little bit about about your family, um, and um, like your mom and your dad. And did you have any other siblings? Because it's not everyone that has a brother who is their pastor as well. And um, and while we're speaking of that, um, just sort of in right now, I was wondering. I when I looked up uh, just just to find out more about you for this conversation, I, I found um, this. This information on the National Benevolent Association um, website uh, about you, and I was wondering if that was still current. Are you still um, Disciples Seminary Foundation's Director of Pastoral Formation in Northern California? Thank you very much, Sister Wanda, and 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 um, Brother Charles for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I uh, I came um, this morning, and I'm speaking pretty much off of the cuff and and from and from and from memory as best I can. Uh, and I I'm sorry that I did not bring a copy of that um, that that letter from the Birmingham jail that uh, that my brother. Uh, received from from Dr. King, but if I can just give you a gist of it, as I as I recall, um, one of the one of the key words in that was gradualism. Uh, people in the clergy, in particular, were were saying to Dr. King that uh, that you should wait, you know, that you're that you're moving too fast, uh, and that it takes time to bring about the kind mm. of changes uh, that you want to see. And Dr. Mm-hmm. King King talked about what he called the urgency of now. You know, we have we have this moment, uh, and when you have the moment, you have to move in the moment if you're going to bring about the kind of changes that that you're that you're that you're looking for. And he couched that um, he couched that letter, you know, in that kind of uh, in that kind of language that you know, when 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 God says move, <laughs> you gotta you gotta move. Uh, but in terms of in terms of my background, I am a fourth generation. Um, uh, clergy and the Christian Church Disciples oh. of Christ. My great grandfather, my grandfather, my oldest brother before me. Uh, my oldest brother was was my pastor. His name was Elder Aaron Johnson, uh, and um, he, in addition to being a pastor, he was also a barber, which is how he was able to, you know, to um, get the economic resources that he needed uh, to, um, you know, to take care of his family. Um, the barber shop was one of the hubs of the civil rights movement. East um, mm-hmm. uh, um, mm. Street Christian Church, which still stands proudly a few blocks over from Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, hosted civil rights activist uh, Medgar Evers on, on several of his trips you know, to, to Greenwood. One that I mentioned when he brought the $100 check to the sharecropper who had been kicked off for choosing to, to go uh, to vote. Um, in 1964, when the um, when the uh, civil rights bill was passed, um, my brother went to the Holiday Inn. Uh, that was we one lost of the him there for a moment. Hopefully You've lost me. Called. Oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah, we. Um, yeah, there was silence. But anyway. Yeah. Now but the, uh, the I was saying that my brother's barber shop was the hub of the yes. of the civil rights movement. That's where some of the leaders would gather, uh, and they would put their strategies, you know, uh, together uh, to mm-hmm. determine how they were going to how they were going to uh, go forward. Uh, so in 1964, when the civil rights bill was was passed, uh, he went to the Holiday Inn to uh, to the restaurant there, 
uh, and um, among the first, you know, to African Americans to go there to be served. Uh, and he had just he had just bought this um, shark skin suit, you know, and somehow the the waitress um, uh, spilled the a pitcher of water. Uh, on his suit, and he just stood up, and you know the water just went right off, and uh, and they and they stayed uh, to stay there and to have the courage to eat, you know, after that was uh, was a major yeah. was a major accomplishment, I think. But uh, they did survive that. But but again, the courage came from his associated association with Dr. King, and also his legacy, his family legacy, uh, you know, as a uh, as a man of faith uh, that they passed down to uh, they passed down to us as well. You asked about the National Benevolent Association. I am still on the board. The National Benevolent Association is the social services arm, the administrative unit of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, of which I am a, a member. Um, you know, we, we do uh, different kinds of, of things in terms of uh, uh, helping to make sure that the people in, in different communities, you know, can come together and work together. There was a mother-to-mother program uh, at one point where mothers uh, who lived in the urban uh, core and mothers who were on the, the fringes of the city in the suburbs, where you would bring those mothers together and just let them have some conversations, you know, to see how, how similar um, how similar their lives were, and it made, it made, it made, a, uh, it made, a, lot of, uh, it made a lot of difference. Uh, I am no longer uh, with the um, Disciples Seminary Foundation. That work ended uh, in um, in July of 2020, uh, but I am still connected with the um, with the uh, the larger uh, work of of our church. I serve as the moderator of the Christian Church of Northern California, Nevada. We have 62 churches here, and uh, uh, in the 60s, many of those pastors who served some of those churches back in the 60s, they were the ones who came down to Selma in 1965. They were they were there on that Edmund Pettus Bridge, um, you know, uh, the uh, I think for the second time. Uh, and so we still have that, that legacy of people who were involved in the civil rights movement, who were involved in the, um, the movement for human uh, justice, for, um, you know, for uh, peace and freedom and those kinds of things that will make us, you know, the beloved community where all of us see, you know, the value and the worth uh, in, in each individual. And we work toward making sure uh, that everybody uh, has the respect uh, that, uh, that they deserve. Uh, in this um, uh, in this um, melting pot that we call the United States United States of America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, ask you if you could talk a little bit about about the women um, you know that were a part of the tapestry of of experience that made you into the man that you are presently. Uh, my mother, of course, uh, being one, uh, my father passed away when I was eight years old, and my mother never never remarried, uh, but uh, she was a, a tremendous uh, inspiration for me. Um, she was my first uh, Bible teacher. She would uh, take me uh, to her knee, and she would read Scripture to me, and when I was old enough to learn how to read, then she would have me read it back to her as well. Uh, but she was a, a devout um, a woman of faith, uh, and uh, she lived, you know, the life that uh, that she that, that she talked about. We've already talked about Fannie Lou Hamer uh, and her courageousness, you know, to speak in those um, in those um, mass meetings where we were all 
be to get be gathered. But she was also, as 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 the as the record would report, she was beaten severely uh, uh, on those times that that she was uh, that she was arrested. But she still did not lose, uh, you know, her courage. Uh, Lula Bell Johnson. Uh, who was the mother of June Johnson. Lula Bell was one of the first persons uh, that I knew of in, in our community. She lived across the street from us. But when the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee um, started its work on voter registration in the Delta in Greenwood, she was a person who who was a cook for them. Uh, she cooked for those civil rights workers, and, uh, uh, you know, she was never out front but she was the one who cooked some good soul food to make sure that they 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 had the nourishment that they need uh, that they needed in order to do the work that was before them. Her daughter uh, June Johnson, who was um, a year behind me in high school, picked up that mantle, uh, and um, June became a very very active uh, uh, person, you know, in the uh, in the civil rights movement. Not only in Greenwood, but uh, later she moved to Washington D.C. Uh, and she continued her career uh, in in social justice there in our in our nation's our nation's capital. Uh, there were other women like uh, Dorothy Height. Uh, there were oh, uh, yeah. there were people like Coretta Scott King. Um, you know, th- there were people like Merle Evers, who um, the the widow of Mega Evers, who uh, became you know one of the uh, prime leaders uh, in the NAACP uh, nationally. But all of these women just just stood um, uh, so tall. You know, they were they were so brave, they were so courageous, and they were beautiful, uh, and they understood, you know, uh, how to uh, how to move and how to negotiate. There were some situations that they could say things that even the men could not say, uh, and um, uh, it made it made a uh, a significant difference. Uh, they also uh, were on the those uh, demonstration lines. Many of them were arrested, uh, as I mentioned about Fannie Lou Hamer and some of the others. Uh, and uh, some of these veterans here in um, Northern California, the Civil Rights Movement, uh, many of them were also arrested, um, uh, and um, um, they were able to to write stories about that that kept us in, uh, encouraged uh, uh, going forward, and gave us the kind of kind of nurture you know that that we needed uh, you know in times of um in times of uh, confusion quite frankly um you know um uh, one of the one of the neighbors would always say to me she said well you know uh, you know when you when you when you're kicking you might not be able to kick high but you keep on kicking you know uh you uh, keep on keeping on you know don't 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 let them don't let them uh, turn you around and keep your hand in god's hand and 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 things are going to be all right those were some of the um some of the words that women would would share you know to uh you know to keep us encouraged and uh keep us moving forward uh you know toward the fulfillment of not only dr king's dream but also the dream of the founders of of, of this of this country as well and we're still moving we're still moving uh in 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 that uh, in that direction, I dare say that Kamala Harris is cut out of that same fabric. Uh, um, uh, you know, we we, we know that uh, that there are a lot of women. You know, the, the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, for instance, uh, uh, the mayor of New Orleans, and all around this country, we have African American women. You know, who have taken leadership positions, uh, and um, uh, we are just excited uh, about what we see. Um, Moving forward uh, in this um, 
in this season. Um, uh, the 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 highest office of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, our general minister and president is um, Terry Hoyt Orange. She is the first African American woman, you know, to hold that that position. Uh, and uh, she constantly reminds us that we should we should um, we should not misuse a crisis. That in every crisis situation, you know. God moves and God does great work. And so whenever we have a crisis, we should see that as an opportunity, you know, to move forward just a little bit further. Uh, and so this, this crisis of the pandemic, um, you know, we should not, we should not lose that. Uh, we should find ways to, to be strengthened. Uh, one of the things that um, some of our people are concerned about in the African-American community is whether or not we should take these shots. Uh, and uh, I remember, you know, as an elementary school student, uh, that we would, um, uh, in school, you know, uh, we would be brought, uh, you know, to the gymnasium, uh, and we would take we would take shots uh, for uh, smallpox, for for measles, and for all kinds of other. We'd be crying, you know, but they would they would shoot those shots in our arm and and uh, give us a lollipop, and we survived. So that when we have something that uh, that has been proven, you know, that uh, that will save lives, uh, I know I know the history and the reluctance on the part of some, but um, you know there comes a time when we just have to have you know the faith to say, hey, look, you know, if if this if this uh, is going to uh, help save lives, save not only our lives but the lives of others, you know, then it's something that we should that that we should do. So my sleeve is already rolled up, uh, and when they call my number, I'm going to go and um, I'm going to go and and get that that, that vaccination so that uh, I can protect myself and others as well. So there were a lot of women, uh, and I'm talking off the cuff. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have anything prepared, but I'm just talking from my experiences, and 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 I hope that. Uh, that uh, you're able to connect this, you know, as we as we go through this uncuffed, uh, unrehearsed uh, conversation today. Oh, uh, perfectly yeah. fine. Yes, yes, Charles. I just want to let you all know we have another ten minutes, and and I wanted to uh, to give um, Reverend Johnson an opportunity to let people know about anything that's happening um, at his church, um, Mills Grove Christian Church, uh, Disciples of Christ. Um, on Fleming, I believe, in East Oakland community of Maxwell Park um, before we, we end, because this weekend is a weekend that a lot of activities are happening. Okay, go ahead, Charles. Uh, it was like a personal story. Uh, uh, a king uh, would be on TV, and it was always, like I said, I was a poor student in, in high school, but I was always, uh, the news would be on, and if king was speaking, I, I was all ears, and Another one was James Farmer. I was James Farmer always caught my attention, but King, uh, his his influence, and later on I, you know, studied his speeches and, and and read some some of the books, you know, and I guess the thing is trying to, you know, how do we put it to work? And I had somebody criticize me, you know, uh, and the story is that uh, I was in high in high school. I was on the track team, and I was absent one day. And apparently someone cut a seat on, on the bus, and they think one of, one of the black students did it. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, why would uh, they, all we had was our track uniforms, and why, why would they have a knife to cut a seat, you know. So anyway, uh, we're at the, you know, practice, practice that evening, and 
these guys, uh, they caught me, these, these white students. It was about four to five of them. They caught me, and my, my hand, my right hand, was up to my, my shoulder, back. They, they pulled my hand all the way to my back, uh, my, in, in back of me, and my hand was up, up to my shoulder. So when they got finished, I, I couldn't do nothing. And they said, yeah, so you, you know who cut the seat on the bus. And, and, and I said, I said no. I said, and if you knew, you wouldn't tell us. And, and I, I was basically in tears because, I mean, my, they had my hand all the way up to my, to my shoulder and back of me. And so the guy's name was Marvin, Marvin Chapman, and he saw what was going on. And uh, he told him in so many words, get your hands off him. And he, and he picked up a starter block. And he's coming towards him. And I was so angry and, and so hurt until I, I was like, you know, use it. If, if I could have used it, I probably would have. Because I was, in, I was in the ninth grade, okay? So this, this one student, he, he continued to pick at me, and uh, my mother made me continue to go to the school uh, for the busing program. And uh, he's kicking me and shoving me against the lockers. And he always had his friends with him, his, his buddies with him. And so uh, they had a policy at the school that, you know, you got a problem, you can put the gloves on, you know. And so I went to the coach, and as Coach Hale wanted to put the gloves on with so-and-so, he called him in, and he says, uh, uh, no, nah, uh, no, nah, I didn't. I didn't do it. He says, uh, you know, Blackwell wants to put the gloves on with you. He says, no, uh, no. Nah, nah. And he says, uh, he says you've been kicking him and shoving him against the locker. He says, no, no, no. And and this one teacher was there, but he was new, and he he wasn't there when the riot. That the one that I spoke to, his name was Max Fadden. He was okay. You know, I knew you could trust him. And the other one, I didn't know because, like, you know, didn't know where he was coming from. And then he jumped up and he says, you're a damn liar. I saw you do it. And I was really, I was shocked. And, and the guy got scared, was afraid. And, and so he, the, the coach says, okay, Charles, uh, uh, you, uh, you, will, will you, he had him apologize. So he said, well, well, can you accept his apology? And truthfully, I did not want to accept his apology. I wanted, I wanted to beat this guy to a pulp, you know. And, and that now was one-on-one. And so I had to accept his apology. Okay, so I'm in college. City College in Sacramento, and the guy is on campus, and I kind of ignored him, you know, whatever. I was involved, got involved with the Black Student Union. We got, we pushed, we got nine out of ten demands for Black Studies, you know. And so, one day I'm sitting at outside the library reading an article, and somebody comes up and I look up and it's him. And this guy, I don't, I don't know whether I should jump up and, and you know grab the guy by his neck or what, you know. And he says, Hey, I saw you sitting here. And I just wanted to come over and, and, and tell you that I, I wanted to apologize to you. And I was going, like, what? And, and he says, uh, he says, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dating this, this, this lady, and she really pointed out some things to me. And I, I just had to tell you, you know, it was my, my father. He instilled this bigotry and this racism in me. And um, I realized that it was wrong what I did, and I had to apologize. And I tell you, you know, it, it was a Martin Luther King story. And I had, it, it was just a a couple of months before I, I had come to Christ and accepted Christ. And it really, I really understood at that point what, what King was talking about because at the same time, <laughs> I'm wrestling within myself, listen to this guy or grab him, you know, not, not in gain weight. I'm no longer no ninth grader, you know. And, and, and this guy is talking about how his father has instilled this prejudice and bigotry in him. And I had, I had to listen. And, and and when he walked, he, he said, "I hope you accept my my apology." And I said, "I said, yeah, because this time it was for real." And he walked off, 
and, and, and my mind was going, you know, back to what King was saying, you know. And and so, you know, you realize, you know, the influence, and, and I think it was the influence of what King had on me because I realized, you know, King was right. You know, you got to try to overcome this kind of hatred, you know, and King makes this speech. He says, uh, you know, neither capitalism nor, nor communism can, can do anything to satisfy the human spirit. But the only thing that can satisfy the human spirit is love. And because um, King talked about the redemptive uh, power of, of love and putting love to work. I mean, I don't really know if I could do it, but I guess in some ways I did. Uh, if I could brag for a minute, uh, this a few months ago I got this thing called the Superfest uh, Disabled Justice Award. And it's because of some things I said on this film, some statements I made about black America. And I said, wow, they're giving me this award for this little few statements. But then I, I reflected back, and it's kind of like, you know, this story with the guy coming back and apologizing. But then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm partly blind. And I was in a sheltered workshop in, in Washington, D.C. when I lived there back in the 80s. And uh, we, were, we were stuffing envelopes. So I was a professional envelope stuffer. And everybody, it was a sheltered workshop, and these people are, are disabled. And so... You know, it was set up, the Catholic Social Services, they were over the program. And, and we, maybe they'd been there, these people, they, they, they'd been there longer than me, and they had some kind of, you know, learning disabilities or, or whatever, you know, some kind of uh, a disability, they're disabled. And so they send the social worker in, and the social worker is telling them, okay, you all have proven that you can work and, and you can handle these jobs, you know, and so we're going to notify the uh uh, 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 SSI supplemental security income, and your 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 income is going to be cut, and and they're they're sitting over. Oh, well, well, what are we going to do? You you cut our income, and and you know, well, 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 where where are we going to go? No, well, you can continue to do this job, but but the job wasn't really paying very much. You know, it was like a, a barely a minimum wage. You know, and so I'm sitting there, and I I had already uh, years before I dropped out of the graduate school social work, and I and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this. And I'm no longer on SSI because when I was married, I didn't want to put my wife through that, bring in your check stuff, tell us where you work and report, bring in documents. So I just said, uh, I'm sitting there listening to this. And I guess it, 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 it had to be the influence of King or, or James Farmer or somebody. And I says, I says, wait a minute. You know, I says, I can understand, you know, what you're doing, but these people are asking you for some help and, and what the help that you're providing is to basically, you know, now that they've managed to prove they can work, you're going to snatch the carpet from beneath their feet. And I said, this is the reason. I said, this is kind of like the Commission on, Social Dis- Commission on Civil Disorders report uh, where the social worker is proven to be the most hated in the community. And she was going, to, I mean, so, oh, well, well, we didn't know. No, no. I said, no, no, no. I said, the people are trying to, uh, yeah, prove that they can work and at the same time asking you for some kind of help. But at the same time, you're going to cut this salary and, and, and cut that, and, and they're asking you where they're going to go, what they're going to do. I said, it would be better if you set up a program where they can, you know, can really rise above the situation, and then they'll be able to, you know, pay rent or be able to, you know, provide for themselves. But as it is, you're going to cut everything. And they were, oh, we didn't mean it like that. And it was two, I think it was two or three people from Catholic Social Services. And uh, I got to say, uh, I'm not bragging, but I was a bulldozer. And what really hit me was, we were outside. It was later on. The meeting's over. I'm outside, 
it was about four or five of these people that, that most of them African American and disabled, and they came up speaking to me, thanking me because they couldn't say anything, and I could, and 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 I, I was I mean I'm telling you it almost brought tears to my eyes. It was like they would thank you, Mr. Charles. And I said, oh, just call me Charles. Oh no, thank you. We couldn't say nothing. And they told us, you know, they told me that we, we couldn't say anything. And I was just, I was knocked off my feet. And so when they gave me this award two months ago, Disabled Justice Award, I said, I thought about it and I said, okay, yeah, I, I did this uh, little, made those statements on the film. But then again, I realized other stuff I had done, you know, and which you, you don't get no awards for those. And I realized maybe, maybe this is why they gave me the awards, you know. So I just had to say, okay, accept it and, and go on from there, you know. And um, the other side is that in relating to uh, uh, Pastor uh, Clarence Johnson, uh, they, they they bombed the church in Birmingham. I remember I heard it on the news that morning. I was so angry. I, was, I must have been 13. And we went to church. It was an AME. It was in Sacramento. And... After church, my mother said, uh, thought about mentioning going to this uh, uh, a protest, a march at at the, uh, it was a federal building, and I was in the back seat and I said, yeah, let's go, let's go, uh, yeah, and so we went and it was the first time I, I marched in a, in, a, in protest, and and I look back on it, I'm, I'm I'm glad I did because, I mean, what else what else could you do? You know, I was, I was uh, after I read King's book, it said that they bombed his. His, his his house, and he he went to bed and he realized he he could have lost his 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 little baby his daughter, and 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 he could have uh, lost his wife, and that that morning he went to get a permit so he could get a thirty eight, <laughs> and a lot of people don't know that story but it's in his book, and uh, uh, they denied him a permit, and he said no you're a minister. And from that point, you know, he just had to accept it and go on. And, uh, you know, and, and you realize it's like uh, as angry I, as I was when they killed those four girls in Birmingham, uh, you realize, okay, you just have to continue on and, and try to battle in, in, in another way, you know, find another tactic, you know. So I, I just wanted to relate that, you know, as, as a personal story. of, And, and, I, and I know it's King, the influence of King because, you know, when you listen to somebody constant basis like that, you know, it's, it's definitely going to have an impact on you. Right. Well, Charles, um, we're out of time. So that was that was really beautiful what you shared. And I want to let our audience know that the name of the film that you were mentioning that you are the subject of, God-Given Talent, um, The Creative Life of Charles Curtis Blackwell, 2019, and how do you pronounce Jeff's last name? Jeff M. Uh, uh, Giordano. Jeff. Uh, Giordano. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Giordano. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Giordano. Yeah, that. Yeah, um, uh, Bay Area um, filmmaker. It's a really beautiful film. Um, so, um, Reverend uh, Johnson, I'm going to let you uh, take it out um, this particular, and I would love to um, have you on again to talk. Um, some more because I really was interested in the um, the Truth and Reconciliation um, uh, hearings um, tribunal that happened there in Greenwood because people don't know about it and I was wondering if we could you know have another conversation at some point um, in time that's that you know about in enough time <laughs> you know just get the phone call 
you know, the night before like you did. And we really appreciate your, you know, your candid and off-the-cuff conversation this morning about, you know, our beloved uh, hero, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. It will be my pleasure, Sister Rhonda, Sister Wanda. Uh, Brother Charles talked about the bombing. In his book, I think, The Strength to Love, Dr. King talked about that situation. He said that uh, he got up the next morning and uh, he said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. He said his hand was shaking. He was trembling so that he couldn't hold his cup of coffee. He said, I'm trying to do what's right, but I'm, 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 I'm weak right now. And I don't know what to do. He said he heard a voice that said, there, Martin, stand up. Stand up for justice. Stand up for peace. Stand up for righteousness. And from that point forward, he was able to find the strength to continue in spite of the personal threats on his life, the bombing and all of those kinds of things that were that were there uh, ever present. He was able to find some strength and to go forward. So I leave you with that uh, uh, as we go into um, uh, 2021. My brothers and sisters, stand up for hope, stand up for peace, stand up for joy, stand up for those things that would make all of us better people. And for all of those students who came down to uh, Mississippi in 1964, uh, students uh, black and white and Asian and, and Latino who came down to help in that voter registration uh, drive, uh, your, your, your work is being rewarded, and we are grateful, and we are thankful, and we're looking forward to doing even better things as we, as we go. So may the peace of God be with you today, tomorrow, and always. And thanks again for giving me this opportunity uh, just to share uh, some, of my, some of my memories. Right, and and so how how do people um, get in touch with you? And um, yeah, and what are you all doing at your church? You're probably doing virtual services, but if people want, you know, they, to learn more about your work, what, where should they go? We have been doing Zoom worship services every Sunday since March the 22nd, and we continue to do those Zoom services each Friday. Mm-hmm. Today, as a matter of fact, we will have a food distribution program. Uh, we have been giving out 200 boxes of food every Friday since the uh, about the 16th of October through the uh, Food uh, from Farmers program. Uh, Elder L.J. Jennings has been kind enough to get us connected with that uh, with that program. And so today, from 11 o'clock uh, until 1 o'clock, we'll be giving out food boxes for those. These are quality items. Uh, you've got a dozen of eggs. You've got a half gallon of milk. Uh, there are different kinds of meats, uh, chicken and uh, link sausages. Uh, we have all kinds of veggies in there, uh, squash and broccoli, uh, carrots, uh, apples, and oranges. Uh, these are quality food items. So if there are those who need some food today, uh, we are one of several churches who will be doing this through the end of through the end of, uh, the end of, um, uh, of, of February of this year. What's so We've given about uh, 2,100 boxes of food. Uh, Elder Jennings has been able to give about 50,000 boxes of food, and so we're just grateful for that. We're at 5410 Plymouth Avenue uh, in East Oakland, uh, and again, we'll be there today from um, uh, from uh, 11 o'clock until 1 o'clock. We'll have information on uh, how you can contact us uh, at that point as well. Uh, and I will be there to, to talk to people, uh, you know, if they want to just have a, an off-the-cuff conversation or if they want to have prayer, uh, you know, we'll be able to go into a corner. We'll be outside. Uh, we are doing social distancing. 
we are wearing our face coverings, our masks. Uh, we have hand sanitizers there, uh, and uh, we'll be there to uh, to help folks who need food and to have conversation and prayer with those who would like to do that as well. 5410 Fleming Avenue in East Oakland, California. Oh, excellent. Super excellent. Wow. Well, thank you both so much. Um, Yeah, Charles, um, wow. We're out of time, but it would have been nice for you to be able to share a poem. But next time. Next time. Okay. 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 That's okay. Uh Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. you. Both of you have, you know, really wonderful rest of the day and a great weekend, you know, leading up to the inauguration on the 20th next week. To God be the glory. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely, certainly. <laughs> Peace and blessings to both of you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Brother Charles, as well. Okay. Okay. Bye. So we are waiting for our next guest to join us, and um, <laughs> uh, it was such a marvelous conversation. Um, I think, what should I play next? I was thinking about playing something from the Staple Singers. Um, yeah, um, let me see what I can find. Um, let's see. Um, yes, I got to look for it. Um, there is a press conference that started um, uh, at 9 o'clock, and uh, it is in Zoom, and it is the um, uh, Cat Brooks uh, organization, and uh, there was a really stellar lineup. And I am looking for, I hope our guest, I hope he didn't give up on me and say, oh, she's not clicking over. Um so hopefully he will join us. And uh, in the meantime, looking for this song. I don't remember the name of it. Um, I think it's called Freedom Highway. And uh, it's with Pop Staples. Freedom Highway, let me see. Oh, there it is, Freedom Highway. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm going to play that. What you going to do? <laughs> a few days ago, uh, the Freedom Marchers marched from uh, Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. I know some of you know about that. That was in March 1965. And from that march, words were revealed, and a song was composed. And we wrote a song about the Freedom Marchers, and we call it the Freedom Highway. And we dedicate this number to all of the Freedom Marchers. And it goes something like this.
Let's say amen again. Amen. Keep on marching. Everybody talking about heaven is not going there. I want to make heaven my home, but I want to enjoy myself a little down here, too. I wonder, can I get a witness tonight? Keep on marching. A freedom's highway.
So I'm sure you recognize those voices, Sweet Honey and the Rock. Yeah, yeah, we who believe in freedom. Lovely, lovely. And before that was the staple singers, the pop staples. And Mavis Staples is still going strong, which is so awesome. So I have a our next guest is gonna be joining us in ten minutes, so I'm like, Oh, oh my god, I'm gonna give you a little teaser with um uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s attorney and speechwriter Clarence B. Jones, um, Dr. Clarence B. Jones, and I'm not certain which one of these interviews I'm going to like, which one am I going to play? <laughs> By the time I finish deciding, it will be time for our next guest to join us. So I was like, oh, um, I'm not sure, because um, I've got one interview uh, from August 20th uh, about what would Martin say, and then I've got another one. Um, from um, January 16th, 2015. So I think I'm going to go with the January 16th, 2015, and uh, we will see what he's talking about. And as I mentioned, it is like an excerpt, (laughs) very, very short excerpt at that. Well, it's really, really wonderful to be speaking to you again. Um, The first time I spoke to you was on the 50th anniversary of... um, the uh, March on Washington for jobs. Oh, yeah, freedom. okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. August, August uh, 2014, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, and then I met you, too, um, at the talk at USF. Okay. Yeah, that was really, really lovely. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. Or maybe it was August 2013. I don't know which one. It, it was, I think it was 13, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, and um, got a chance to watch your, uh, your video, just sort of looking at... Um, you know, the state of, you know, emergency that's going on presently in our communities uh, with regards to... Yes, Mm -hmm. I spoke about that also. Have you had a chance to uh, see uh, uh, my uh, my tribute remembrance to Dr. King on the Huffington Post, which has been posted there for two days? Okay, I I watched the video, but no, I didn't... um no, I didn't read your uh, tribute on the Washington Post. Oh, okay. No, no, it's in the Huffington Post. Huffington the Huffington Post. Post. Oh, yeah, because you, you're a regular uh, contributor to the Huffington Post. Yeah, but this, I, I posted I posted a tribute okay. to Dr. King, which went up on, on his birthday. Oh, okay. On no. January 15th. No, I didn't know about right. that. I would have read it. Um, should I yeah, read it? Yeah, you should. You should. It's been... Uh, it's been it's gone viral, you know. Awesome. Well, you're a fabulous writer. Um, well, you might have talked about this in your uh, in your piece for the Huffington Post because I haven't read it, but I will definitely okay. read it. Um, but I was wondering if um, if you could uh, talk about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, love ethic and his vision of the beloved community. Um, well, as I, I have I have repeatedly said in trying to accurately position. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in the uh, pantheon of American history. I uh, have a uh, kind of topic. I have a topic sentence, which uh, is that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was the 20th century's preeminent apostle of nonviolence, love, and a commitment to the pursuit of excellence. And it was uh, his. Uh, 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 abiding deep belief in the uh, in, in in the reservoir of decency and righteousness within the whole cross section of the American people that gave him the confidence that as long as uh, he could uh, um, 
demonstrate the uh, the righteousness of his own cause by remaining nonviolent and be willing to accept whatever punishment is applied against him in order to demonstrate the unshakable commitment of his commitment for justice that those things would ultimately have an effect on the majority of Americans. You know, I say, um, prior to Martin Luther King Jr., America was like a uh, an alcoholic, addicted an alcoholic or a drug addict. They couldn't kick the habit of their dependency on racial segregation. They tried a couple of uh, things that didn't seem to work out successfully to end their addiction. And along comes this fourth generation Baptist preacher from Georgia, irrevocably and totally committed to his God, his Lord Jesus Christ. And he um, takes America on a journey of recovery, a journey to enable them to redeem and recover its soul and to finally come to its senses and understand that if we are to really be a great country and a great America, it has to be consistent with nothing so revolutionary, nothing so uh, earth-shaking, but something very simple, just simply to live in accordance with the founding principles of our country, the Declaration of Independence and our extraordinary U.S. Constitution. That's all it required. wasn't asking the American people to do anything different in terms of how the country was founded and what they've already agreed to, what they're already, what they're already, what they're, what, that, or that were and are already the precepts and principles under which this government operates. So in that sense, um, he was a uh, strategic genius. And as we now, uh, this January 15th, as I write about in my uh, post in the Huffington Post, mm-hmm. paying tribute to him. Had he, had he lived uh, till his birthday this past week, he would have been 86 years of age. And uh, I reflected on some of the things he might have said or would have been a matter of priority for him. And I did this on the basis, not that I could say in fact, that he would think or he would do such and such. But when you work with someone over almost a seven-year period as a political advisor, then as his personal lawyer, and as a draft speechwriter, and you spend a lot of time with him and other people listening and observing, uh, participating in the framing of ideas back and forth, you get a sense of who the person is and if you, if I forget, I just simply go and refresh my recollection by reading some of his sermons mm-hmm. and reading some of his speeches, some of which I'm proud to say 
I was able to craft in a draft form for him to consider using, all or in part. Mm -hmm. So that uh, now, as I as I said today, on his in the 86th year of his life that he lived, there is no question in my mind that among other things he would have looked with such pride and such um, uh, and, and love and admiration for the young people who have asserted themselves in Ferguson and who have awakened the conscience of America on the issue of often the unbridled application of lethal force shooting by police of young African-American men. What's happened in Ferguson and Cleveland and Staten Island is the 20th, 20th century and 21st century version of the police dogs and fire hoses in Birmingham, Alabama, and in Selma, Alabama. Remember, and in uh, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Remember, it was those events in 1960 that uh, awakened the conscience to, of America. And America, uh, in response to the police brutality against African-Americans seeking to exercise their constitutionally protected right to vote, um, uh, America had to, had to answer, uh, had, had to confront the issue is that when, is, is this violence that was taking place in, uh, in Birmingham and in Selma, are, are, are those acts being committed in their name? Are, 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 are those atrocities, is that violence being applied to Negroes, young African-American boys and girls, and some older people who are just peacefully seeking to assert their rights? Are those actions a reflection of the American people? Are they being done in their name? Mm -hmm. And so that's what the people in Ferguson are asking the question. They're, they're, they're asking America, are these killing of young black men, is this being done in your name? Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> wow, yes, um, good question. And it's come forward and still the same question. So that conversation happened about five years ago um, with uh, Dr. Clarence Jones, Martin Luther King Jr.'s attorney, um, and also speechwriter, so you can look in the archives for that, because we have in our studio um, Sinjin Jones, artistic director of the Pear Theater in Mountain View, to talk about, wow, his work and the new play that's getting ready to open next week. Good morning. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I was just so disappointed. Um, I just fell off of, I don't know, um, mailing lists, trying to figure out how 
theaters were doing theater last year. So I missed, uh, you did something last year, um, I think it was in July. You might have done other things too. But I was looking for a bio and looking for pictures, and I was just trying to like looking for you in all these different places. And um, and I, I found... Um, I found some information about you, and I'm like, oh, Fuse Theater. And I'm like, oh, I missed you. Darn. It looked <laughs> really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, we did a, a panel with Fuse and the Dragon uh, talking about race and stuff like that um, in, mm-hmm. in theater and all that stuff. Very valuable, interesting conversation with some great creators in the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um is is any of this available? Like, on, I couldn't figure it out on their website. If any of yep. these panels, you can listen to them or watch them or whatever. You know, that's an excellent question. I don't know that I have a great answer for you. I think um, theoretically they are available. I could probably, um, I think the Fuse website and the Dragon website in terms of their partnership would be the best, best first places to look um, mm-hmm. because we did a, a, agree that those could be streamed. So, I mean, I'll, I can check it out and, and send you some links to maybe post up. Oh, that'd be super. Yeah, yeah, I, I was on the Fuse website, and I can't figure it out. It's <laughs> There are a lot of places you can click. I'm like, okay. And I couldn't even find yeah. you again after I found you. Once I had to go back outside of the <laughs> outside of the website <laughs> and put your name in and come back like, there he is. <laughs> That's how it goes, isn't it? That's all I mean, your website. Your website is a lot easier to navigate. <laughs> oh, and, well, thank um, you. <laughs> right, and um, and so I've got these different um, places, you know, that I can read your bio, but I was going to just start with uh, transmedia artists, writing, uh, theater, film, art, video games. That's sort of like all of the key words that are connected to your name. And you write that <laughs> you are a storyteller that gets things done, uh, story remains the fundamental way in which we share information. And in my experience, you write as a writer, director, performer, and educator, I have proven success in creating stories across every medium, engaging groups of all ages and, uh, and demographics, and creating immersive environments. Uh, in the emerging transmedia world, I am an artist prepared and proven to get results. So, and then you, you list organizations um and and among them, because we know you're at Pear Theater now in Mountain View, and this I don't know if this was written before that, but um, you have a, a theater a theater group. You're artistic director and vice president of the board, and that was 2016 to the present at this writing. And you have Other World Collective. You're the founder and artistic director, 2015 to 2019, and you've got Perplexity Pictures, co-founder and head of operations. Um, 2009 to 2019, and then you uh, you attended Regas uh, University, um, uh, and um, that was you, you graduated from there this past summer <laughs> with a yep. master's yeah. of fine arts and creative writing and script writing and fiction focus. I mean, you are just like you touch all these genres. It's like wow, you are just such a gift to share <laughs> theater. I'm sure into the bag because you're here now because uh, you're not from here. <laughs> You went to the University of Colorado, Denver, and that was back in December 2011. You have a Bachelor's of Arts in Theater, Film, Video Production, uh, President of Theater, Buffs, um, uh, Student Theater, 
organization, and then you were the president of uh, the Newment um, Student Poetry Organization. And you have a really, um, really, really wonderful website uh, that your name, Sinjin uh, Jones. And I don't know if it's dot com. Is it dot com? <laughs> it's dot com. Yeah. Oh, dot com. Okay. <laughs> and then you've got you got these these movies that you were in because I was looking you up and I'm like, oh, he's done film. Like, wow, look at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, I've been I've been like chattering, but um, yeah, yeah, I was just like, oh, so what's um what's transmedia? Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, when I was starting uh, my hunt for my undergraduate degree, um, I was mm-hmm. like, I want to do all these things, and I don't, but I don't want to. Everyone wants you to specialize, and my thought mm-hmm. was, you know, I want to specialize in the idea of storytelling because I do believe that storytelling is the the most fundamental way we have of connecting with each other, and um, and so I was looking for a combined theater and film program because I thought that would be a nice connection point between the two interests that I had at the time. And of course was super into poetry and I knew I would be able to find an outlet and then sort of discovered the term transmedia, which I think is like a a relatively new term to the world. Um, But it it really is the the connection point between media forms and art um, often having to do with more new media forms. So that would be uh, digital, digital arts, maybe website design along with storytelling, um, maybe film involved in it heavily along with some writing. Um, there's another term called intermedia. That's an older term that came around, came about in the 60s with the, with like the happenings, um, if you're familiar with those, with, um, that is more of a connection point between media forms that are more traditional. So that would be, you know, painting and poetry or um, poetry and uh maybe traditional prose or what we call hybrid writing now. Um, so so intermedia and then um, started in the 60s and then as new media forms, uh, quote-unquote new media forms, sort of the digital space became a more interesting place for people to work and became an access point. Then this term transmedia came about um, uh, as, as people started finding ways to, to experiment and connect across, connect media forms across those genres as well. And so I think to me, that's a super interesting place to work and to feel because, one, it's it's new, right? The idea of augmented reality, virtual reality is really becoming a space where artists can create meaningfully. Um, in addition to film and, and theater, I think combining those aspects and forms, um, really popular in, you know, theaters that can afford it and then also sort of becoming more and more popular to do it in new, unique, interesting ways and integrate it really meaningfully um, in the community theater level. Um, but also, like, all around. Recently, I've been doing a lot of uh, visual art and poetry, some more intermediate stuff, uh, where those two things are integrated together. But I just think story, I don't know, there are stories that I would like to tell, and I'd like to choose a media form that works best for that story, rather than mm-hmm. trying to force the story into the the only, like, if I only practice one media form, it feels like I have to force the story into that media form if I want to tell it. But it, I find that for me, and, you know, a different artist will look at things in different ways. But for me, it feels like that is a, uh, it works better for me to be like, ooh, this is an interesting story that I'd like to tell. Is this better suited for film? Would this be a great immersive immersive show? Would this be a good uh, novel short story? Would this be a good, you know, whatever the case might be, um, and to work in those mediums? 
um, based on what the story is sort of guiding me to say, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I never, I never thought about um, uh, sort of the creative arts, particularly performance art, in a way that one would talk about. Um, uh, so what would you call it? Um, you know, like like sculpting. Because uh, you know, oh, as you yeah. were talking, I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm. It sounds like you know, you're you're you have some clay there, and <laughs> you're looking at. Okay, well, let me let the clay yeah. <laughs> tell me what the story <laughs> is, right? And you just sort of your hands are just sort of following, you know, the narrative of of the of the medium, you know, in this case, clay. Um, only you know what you were talking about. It's like okay, if you have in your um, in your repertoire. Um, these different types of ways of, of telling story, then you can more easily um, represent what you're hearing, um, you know, in your in your mind or in your creative mind. It, it can sort of like, okay, this is going to be a film, or I'm going to be a song, or you know. But if you if you don't necessarily have uh, have have not necessarily fine tuned these different ways of expression. Then you you might know that it's not quite right, but then you might not know how to do it. And I guess that at that particular point, you could bring in somebody who does know how to do it. But it seems like with your work, you've actually tried to be the one yourself. Like, okay, well, I'm gonna be, you know, a god of all things, kind of, so to speak, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it also gives me the opportunity to collaborate with a bunch of artists of different disciplines that I maybe wouldn't have the opportunity to collaborate with otherwise. Um, Mm-hmm. Because I can, you know, speak a variety of different artistic languages. And, you know, I think yeah. there are arguments to be made about specializing, and I'm, I, I don't demonize that idea. I think that's a beautiful structure. I think just for me, I like when I get an idea, I like to have a conversation with the story that I'm trying to tell. Um, and having, as you say, a repertoire, like a, a, a series of tools in my tool chest allows me, allows the conversation to maybe go a little bit differently um, or maybe expand in different ways. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We already mentioned that you know you're originally from Denver, Colorado, and and we you know when the person thinks in the Bay Area about Denver, it's like okay, they got black people there. It's like yeah, you know, like one. I'm just <laughs> 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 no, I think you're probably about sometimes. maybe five. I think you're not the first, you're not the first person. Five is Maybe there's five of y'all. <laughs> and they all belong like to you. The They're number. all related to you, right? In some way. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so tell us about yeah, you know growing up in in Denver and you know and then you know like it seemed like you had a really nurturing kind of family that you could just be so creative. Um, but then that might be out of necessity too because there weren't any other people like you there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think. I mean, like. I would say, well, for certainly, I um, I would absolutely say that, that I had a, a loving family. I think, you know, part of the reason that I turned to storytelling is that storytelling is, is cheap in general when you're a kid. Like, I can write things for almost mm-hmm. no money. We grew, I grew up really poor in a neighborhood called Park Hill, um, and we just did not have very much. And so this idea of being able to to do something in the summer times when we, you know, couldn't really go anywhere or afford to do very much. Um, it was, you know, a great opportunity for me to, like, write a story and have the neighborhood kids perform it or, 
you know, sit in my room and be sad because, you know, and write some, you know, angsty teenager poetry or whatever the case might be. Um, it just gives, it just gave me an opportunity to, to express myself in a way. And, and, you know, part of it certainly was, was having really good teachers and having a really supportive family. Um, and so I'm just, it's like a, you know, it's a catch-22, right? Because I, I don't know that I would call my <clears throat> childhood specifically, like, super easy, happy. <laughs> but I do, like, really respect all the things that my family did so that I could. And my mom and my father were both the kinds of people, and, and they got divorced when I was uh, 12, but were always the kind of people who were like, you should do whatever you, should do whatever you want to do. And I'm super thankful for that. It sort of, like, is how I got to explore things in a way that I wasn't, I wouldn't necessarily have explored before, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe um, you could tell us a little bit about, um, you know, some of the work, because um, you are the co-founder and head of Operations of Perplexity Pictures, an independent film production company, and um, and and you, uh, for 10 years, for 10 years, an artistic director for a theater group in Silverton, Colorado, which I've heard of before, before you came here to pair as executive artistic director. And I think that happened. Was that this going into the second year that you have been at pair? Yeah, I started in January of 2020, so just in time. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Um, Yeah, for real, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think... uh, when when I left undergrad, I knew that I wanted to, me and some friends of mine knew that we wanted to be creative. We knew that we wanted to direct. We knew that we wanted to do film and we wanted to do theater. And, uh, you know, we were punk 20-somethings and, and no one wanted to hire us. And so we were like, okay, well, since no one's going to hire us, I guess we should just do it. And then we started Perplexity Pictures in that time and really had no idea what we were doing, but knew that you know, we had a skill set um, and we had a passion and, and we just wanted to see what was possible for us to create things. And so we started taking on client projects. A lot of our client projects were originally, like, we did a ton of music videos, a good variety of corporate videos, um, and we used those as, like, the way that we financed our other endeavors. So, like, our, our true passion projects where we did you know, some web series. I shot my first feature-length film with Perplexity um, and just tried to figure out, you know, what makes the most sense for us. And, and, and we did that for 10 years and, you know, never spent a dime on advertising, always just word of mouth. Denver has a really good music community. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, once we worked with one group, we were able to work around and, and do music videos of larger and larger scope and make more and more money to finance the, the projects that we love and, um, yeah, we, we, we chose to, to call it quits in 2019 just because we were all sort of, I mean, we had been doing it for 10 years, uh, and, you know, we had all had other jobs while we were doing it. It's not like we were making bank or anything. Um, and it was just, we felt like, you know, for the time being, we were all moving in slightly different directions. And so it made the most sense for us to pause and, and, and look at coming, coming back to it maybe, maybe later, um, a theater group, ATG, was a group that uh, when I was in undergrad, I interned for that group um, under the incredible leadership of Molly Mook Siddler, who um, unfortunately passed away. Um, 
and she was just an incredible leader, and I was going there every summer to work with them. And, and uh, when Molly passed away, there was some vacancy on the board and some uncertainty about what would happen because she was such an incredible leader and, and artist. And I said, I'll, I'll just step onto the board, and I'll sort of start making things happen. And then, you know, one thing turned into another, and uh, it made the most sense for me to, to run art, artistic stuff there. Um, which um, the documentary you're referring to is a little bit outdated. I did step down from that role um, as I took this role in 2020, um, still sort of working as hard as I can to help their board of directors out. Um, but really just trying – it's a beautiful small town in Silverton, Colorado, and it's one of those places that, you know, is ripe for theater and ripe for, for storytelling. Um, I wrote some of my best poetry ever in Silverton, and, and I also did some of my best visual artwork in Silverton, and we'll continue to go back there as often as possible. Um, and, you know, you just you do what you can, and, and I love creating there a lot of work with students, uh, a lot of devised work where we created stuff with theater, film, visual arts, and put those things together, which was really fun as well. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Nice. So you do visual arts. Um, are you talking painting? Because um, I know film is also visual um, and photography. But are you a painter kind of visual artist? Um, yeah. I mean, from so, yeah, I try to – so recently, as I said, I've been doing a lot of my most recent art stuff, and that's and this stuff is on my Instagram page. I, don't, I haven't posted it on my website, um, mm-hmm. is poetry and watercolor, where I do these watercolor oh. pieces and then integrate – poetry into them um and so i'm doing a lot of that right now and i've done a lot of watercolor on wood recently as well and then this summer i did a a series of um six power work paintings um that were in oil so i do some painting um and and just sort of i mean really with visual art especially i just try really hard to let the let my my spirit, if that's what you call, whatever you want to call it, it just guides me into what co- comes next. And so, mm. currently, it's a lot of watercolor and uh, poetry. Um, before that, there was some some oil painting, but I tried and, and I've done some acrylic. I have a, just a bunch of stuff that just when the mood strikes, um, we just sort of figure out what comes next. You know, I just I'm lucky in that you know I have a job. My, my work at the pair is relatively flexible. So, you know, if I, uh, if I have inspirations in a moment, I can take a note or I can do some painting for a little while and then come back to the work that I have to do there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun way to create. I, I did teach visual art for a while. Um, and so, uh, like to explore all the different things that, that one might, one might create stories from, if if that makes sense. Mhm. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Do you want to share um, something uh, from your from your canon, uh, your your auditory canon, that is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With our audience, I'm, I'm before we shift into the pair, and you've got a play opening next week. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Don't remind me. It's chaos right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'll happily read some poetry. I'll, I'll try to keep it maybe a little bit light. So, so for my graduate thesis, it was a series of 
of uh, writings that were all there was a book a, a book of poetry, three plays, and a novel um, that all presented a timeline of a potential future that humanity could do. And, and this, the, the poetry as a part of that was a series of poems that were all written from a variety of different perspectives. Um, and so they were all written in different sort of times in in space, I suppose. And so I'll read some. I'll read maybe one of those poems. Um, and and so this one is called um, Elephant Bone. Hmm. Heaving and breathless, rounded stomach rising and falling, circle of peers watching death. They mourn watching light fade, discordant trumpeting, stomping. Oh, little ones, run, while you still can, while the memory is in your brain and not in the bones. In 20 years, you will come back here and you will show your young. In 40 years, you will return and you will fight for this place. In 60 years, they will guide you and you will not see it with your eyes. You will feel it. Mm. So that's that piece. Um, just to, you know, trying to connect past and future. And also, like, you know, those, there's this interesting idea to me about trauma and how those things carry, how you carry those things with you over generations. And um, elephants yeah, have always been so interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm really uh, interested in, in historic trauma and, um, and sort of like the things we carry that we're not aware of that yes. we're carrying because we don't know about the trauma because it happened like while our parent, my mother might have been carrying us or while, you know, our great, great, great relative um, was experiencing something and it got, you know, incorporated into our our, our, our genetic code, right? <laughs> and so you, yeah. you, are, yeah. you are the manifestation, manifestation of, of, uh, of resiliency and and survival, but you don't know how you got here because you don't know that story. Yeah, yeah, but your bones know it, right? Your soul, your totally. soul knows it. Yes, yes, yes. And then and then you think about the unresolved aspect of that. Like I didn't want to change, <laughs> you know. Like I kind of mm-hmm. liked it the way it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, sort of, you know, where we're situated presently. Um, I mean, not that what happened last Wednesday was a surprise, but how many of us have ever, like, thought we would live through a coup d'etat, right? And, like, now now we're in a police state. Like, the National Guard are on, are like, on on duty. At Washington. I, haven't, I haven't looked at it, but people say... Oh yeah, if anybody's thinking anything, they are not thinking it anymore. And then you know we're hearing these rumors about you know, about people of African descent, right? You know what we need to be doing this coming week, what we need to be doing as of Sunday. Like really, okay. And then and then you think about the threat to all of the yeah. you know since states have their own own constitutions, right? So we're all really kind of like countries still, even though we are United States. It's almost like. Uh, you know, we still have our autonomy. So California has its autonomy because we have our own constitution that might yeah. be in, in in concert with the federal constitution, but in some ways maybe not. <laughs> you know, you think yeah. about, you know, all the voting rights, you know, um, 
you know, sort of, uh, what do you call it, um, sort of making sure that people have voting rights in these various places, in these various municipalities, because you don't have the right to vote necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> necessarily, that's exactly right. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, and then you and I are sitting here. Um, you know, Dr. King was born today. You know, ninety-two years ago, no. you know, before either of us were here. But you know, it's like he, his energy is like radiating in this moment, right? Like what? Absolutely. <laughs> like about Boondocks, right? Um, you know that very <laughs> wonderful cartoon. It's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. It's so interesting. The echoes of all the time past and how you don't mm-hmm. think something will happen, but it does. And then the idea of history repeating itself and carrying that along with you is something that's super fascinating, in some ways very tragic, but also um, pivotal to how we live, you know, even if we don't think about it on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to share one more? And then we can shift to... Um uh, what's coming up, you know, next week about this yeah. play? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll read one called Ever. It's the this this book of poetry um, is called Ever, and so this is the sort of titular titular name. Um, okay. She has brown skin and icicle eyes, and she holds time in her hands like stones unthrown. Mantra of beating drums and mountain-moving heartbeat and fallen friends masked by marching. She is what humanity will look in the mirror to see. She is danger to porcelain pioneers, fingers interlocked with amber allies, moving unstoppable to destiny from darkness. He wraps his wounds with love and and dries away tears. Brittle bone magician, stiller of trauma and shielder of faith and the bringer of hope. He is the soul that unties black and brown bodies. He is stone heart for reconciliation, strength in stoicism still unmoving to destiny from darkness. They have bullets in their words and they dream the heart poetic, defining the stertium now, breathing of pioneer and wise wordsmith and maker of marks. They are the nightmare of status quo. They are the writers of destiny, Kintsugi warrior to destiny from darkness in the future ever. Mm, Wow, that is so beautiful. Wow, yeah, amber allies. And then there are the bones that we were talking about before. (laughs) And bullets and words. Wow. Yes, that's some real precise language, right? It's got a bullet in it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yeah, put a well, bullet in it, man. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you can feel those kind of words. Like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I I totally get it, man. I totally get it. <laughs> you can yeah. put a bullet in it, right? Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, Thank figurative you. bullets. Yeah. That's like Doc, that's like Malcolm X talks about ballots are bullets, right? And our ballots Absolutely, are our yeah. bullets. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. we think about Gloria Parks, a choice of weapons, right? And his choice of weapons mm. was art. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, thank you. And like coming in on Martin Luther King's birthday and coming into this play, even. 
a lot about mm-hmm. race and how we look at race in our country today. It's just an interesting the variety of perspectives for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fairfield, right? We got a Fairfield, California. I know exactly where that place is. Like it's like sort of in the boonies, <laughs> and a lot of people were kicked out of the Bay Area and they had to go to Fairfield because they couldn't afford to live here. But really, I mean, they went they went to Antioch, they went to Fairfield, yeah. they went to Sacramento, like you know these suburb places where they were, you know, they're like food deserts if you, if you didn't have no vehicle. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Fairfield. Yeah, oh. it opens. Um, uh, um, for for viewing um, January twenty second oh, oh, and it goes through um, yeah February twenty uh, first um, and so I was wondering how how are you all presenting um, oh it's it's uh, online it's going to be online yeah yeah so we've done this in you know with the pair we've tried really hard to make sure that we're being super incredibly responsible and following the guidelines so we're actually we're filming this piece without gathering at all. And so they're trying to do some uh-huh. unique things so that people, you know, there are lots of Zoom plays out there. And you know what? I think it's a masterful piece of art to try to create something on Zoom. And we want to, um, at the fair, we've done a lot of digital presentations of work over the last six, eight months. Um, and wanting to iterate and try new things every single time. And so this, I, I hope for folks, will be a, a new and interesting way of presenting work, uh, keeping everyone safe and making sure that we're not gathering and also trying to provide something for the audience that's that's unique and, and that tells the story in an interesting way. Because um, Fairfield, I, when I was interviewed, I would be doing Fairfield as soon as humanly possible because I do think it's a play that everyone should try to do or at least see it's like one of those plays for me i it was the last play i did i performed in it when i was in denver at minor valley playhouse um under the incredible direction of jada suzanne dixon who's a performer director in denver and um fell in love with this play and it's hard it's a hard play but it's incredibly funny um and it sort of throws into question everything we think about race and what the worst case scenario that can happen when you're um, when you're well-meaning but also not super knowledgeable, uh, because that 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 can be one of the major causes of damage, you know. And um, mm-hmm. the interesting thing about Fairfield is that <clears throat> every single one of the characters, the black characters and the white white characters, are, are pretty problematic, right? Um, it talks about you know what it means to be well-meaning and white and liberal and not listening to other people's perspectives, how, how to be in, a, like, the perspective of, like, you know, a white person who doesn't want to believe that race contributes anything and we should treat everyone exactly the same, the perspective mm-hmm. of someone who uh, thinks that, you know, we should treat black people with kid gloves because they have it so hard and therefore we should be apologists for that community and people who think that, and, and even on the other side, uh, they're like, you know, the, the, some of the black characters, uh, w- one of them thinks that one of them is of the perspective that, you know, we shouldn't try to celebrate our blackness um, and what that means for her existence uh, and how she is the principal of this school and doesn't want to celebrate black history much, <laughs> um, which, you know, is a choice and absolutely, but there are repercussions for what that means for her, for all these people pushing her in one direction. And then, um, you know, one of the white parents, she, uh, sorry, one of the black parents, she makes a very clear distinction between her family and those other black families, you know, those families that she considers 
lower class. So she has this very interesting classism about her. Um, and then the, the black father in the story has this perspective of, you know, I can't teach my son to fight back um, against the system. We have to sort of go with the flow, and we have to um, – and, and if we fight too hard, then we then – uh, there will only be further backlash against us. And so there's all these super interesting, unique perspectives of things that, you know, none of which are on the surface. Not that there's an objective right or wrong necessarily in the world, but none of them are necessarily without their blinders, without their problems. And putting them all in together makes you sort of think about the world in which we live, but also, you know, it's pretty funny um, <laughs> dealing with all those all those sorts of situations in the same play. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And you are, are co-directing this with uh, a good friend of Wanda Spicks and um, Aldo Billingsley, uh, well-known yeah. Bay Area theater circles, um, actor, director, and the founder of Juneteenth Theater Justice Project, uh, which debuted really wonderful um production last year um yeah, yeah so so how are how are you all working together on on this particular um production and uh yeah and how how do people how do people make sure they don't miss it like how do they get tickets yeah absolutely <laughs> well i will say it's been it, it's been and continues to be a pleasure to know Aldo and to just like be in the same digital space with him and try to create and, and to create this piece. Uh, he was one of the first directors I talked to when I got into town. I met him by happenstance and like we became quickly sort of intrigued by what we were doing and um, I thought of him first when I thought about Fairfield. Uh, we'll see if he regrets <laughs> if he regrets it in the future. I think. You know, it's a play that, you know, it, it'll catch people. You know, it's super hilarious, but it's it's not for the faint of heart, and I think people should definitely come into it thinking that they're going to laugh and they're going to feel uncomfortable. And Aldo, mm-hmm. with his, like, incredible skill and, and experience, it's been such a joy to work alongside. It's been really incredible. You know, co-directing anything is, is not an easy task, right? It's some, it sometimes can be really remarkably challenging, but we found it, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I found it really, really easily to to work with Aldo and we we see the play in our play pretty constantly and so I find that really really incredibly inspiring um, so it's been wonderful and I'm, I feel lucky as someone new to the Bay Area and someone who's you know uh, relatively new relatively new in, to, in the in in the Bay Area and in in this role to just have Aldo around for a little bit um, People can get the tickets, um, the pair, if you go to thepair.org on our homepage, there's a link there that you can follow, or you can go to thepair.vbotickets.com, and then you just buy a streaming ticket. And once you get that ticket, you'll get the link and the instructions um, on the day it opens. And then you also get access to what's called our Backstage Pass series, and that'll give you um, access to a bunch of really nice in-depth interviews with the actors and, and with Aldo and I, and um, some uh, inside look into the rehearsal process and all of that good stuff, um, and so it gives it gives folks a, an interesting perspective uh, on the process and how we went about creating this as well. Um, and then you can watch it anytime. You get the the link and the timing as long as you started, and, and um, you can you can have one viewing of it during the 
during the entire time from January uh, 22nd to February 21st. Um, and so that's how folks can, can take a look at it. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah, um, you mentioned that you actually were in this play yourself, and I was wondering, what was your what was your role? Were you the father? Yeah. Yeah, I was the the black father, and then I was another character, which I'm actually not going to share what that character was because it's a really nice surprise in the play. Uh, but there's another okay. character that I played as well. That's a pretty great character at the end of Act One. Um, but yeah, I played <laughs> Daniel Stubbs, who is the the father character, who you know has this really super interesting arc. Um, mm-hmm. And we have uh, a, an actor here, Terrence Smith, who is playing the role in such an incredible way um, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's an arc of like you know a very like let's approach this with peace let's not cause too much of a stir but then what happens when you get pushed to your breaking point in that mm-hmm. philosophy and how does that come down on you right yeah yeah and and so how is the pair for you I just love the name pair right and I, and there's a street pair that is yeah the, the company the the theater is not on pair but pair is like one of the cross streets, I think. Um, I don't know my yeah, views, like, be, like well, well, pair. but I've been there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it used to be on pair, and then we moved in, the, oh. the pair has moved in the last five years, just really across the street from where it was before, um, into mm-hmm. a, a larger space. And, uh, yeah, but it was originally started on pair, uh, on pair Avenue. Um, it's been, mm-hmm. you know, great. I think, you know, to be an artistic director of a theater, but I feel lucky that I came in with a skill set that is beneficial to the pair at this time and that we still continue to be able to create and to experiment and to stay connected with our artists and continue to pay them and also continue to create art for our community. That feels really meaningful to me, and we've still gotten to move forward with some of the initiatives that are really important to me in, in terms of diversity, in terms of uh, the play choices and all of those sorts of things. So we've gotten to move forward, even though, you know, it's maybe not in the live sort of way that you that I anticipated doing when I when I joined the pair. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been really lovely, and I think, you know, the pair board um, is in the process of diversifying as well, and it's an... Uh, it, it's not lost on me that, you know, I was an outsider and for, for, for theaters like the pair, it would be much easier for them to hire someone that is a known quantity and they took a, a risk. Um, and I'm pleased about that and it's been incredibly lovely working at the pair. You know, during quarantine and, and COVID, it's been remarkably challenging, but I love storytelling and the stories that we're telling I think are worth telling and so we're going to keep doing it while we can do it. Mm-hmm. Right, and and do you have um, uh, sort of a, a company of of, of um, actors that um, are that have performed in plays, like for instance, this particular season, um, this particular play, Fair, Fairfield, is not the first play in your season. And I was just wondering, are any of the actors actors that you all have worked with before and are coming back, and and then who's new? Yeah, absolutely. So the pair doesn't keep a sort of uh, uh, a company of actors, um, but mm-hmm. there are many actors that have worked at the pair numerous times. There are a couple who've worked at the pair a few times, um, Keith Marshall and uh, uh, Rob, Robert Sean Campbell have there. Uh, Janine Evans has worked at, has worked at the pair. Um, and then I think a, a large number of the cast hasn't worked at the pair before. One of the things that's mm-hmm. important to me is that we work with a, 
diverse slate of artists that are that we tr- also try to expand opportunities and get people into the pair who haven't worked at the pair before, um, and to sort of widen our our scope of of, of who might work at the pair um, over time. So I think we're trying to balance those things out, working with people who have worked with the pair super well, um, and that the pair audiences will love to see again, and then also working with new folks that um, our community can discover through the pair and then follow their work as well. Um, and so hopefully with, with many, and of course, all, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, like maybe all of the cast has worked with Aldo before because Aldo is such a staple in our community. Um, mm-hmm. And so Aldo knows all of them, so if, if folks are familiar with Aldo's work, <laughs> they've almost certainly seen, seen all these folks before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a small community, you know, when you think about, you know, um, the theater world here in the Bay. And that might be the same everywhere, you know, that if you are a person who enjoys the arts or is an artist, eventually you you know you know the universe, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. you're, you're part of that world. Um, if, you, if you are living and working or, or participating as, as patrons, in, in this particular um, uh, area of, of artistic expression. I love the theater. Um, I yeah. was just reading in your bio, um, and I was just thinking about Silicon Valley and diversity and who lives there, and, and wondering sort of like how was it for you, you know, as a queer artist of color, you know, with a strong commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, to like land like a spaceship. <laughs> Think about George Clinton, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. George Clinton. yeah, George Yeah, and, and Sun Ra. I'm not thinking about Sun Ra, the mother plane, right? You're like, boom, you know, you land, you get out, you know, you have your space suit on still because you're not sure if you can breathe yet. <laughs> the air here, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then, you you know, you open your your door and you step out and it's like, oh, yeah, solid. Okay, I think I can walk on this terrain. Yeah, and you start looking for your people, right, or people that can speak your language. Like, how did you end up, why did you end up, you know, setting your, your compass and your coordinates to land here when you could have went anywhere? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was all sort of universe luck sort of feeling. I knew that uh, it's probably going to move somewhere and, um, had a, a close friend who uh, was moving out here for law school, and so it felt, felt like a good time. And was doing some research, and um, I got I was lucky enough that I got cast in the show as I was moving out here, an immersive show at the that was uh, happening at uh, the uh, the Winchester House. Um, and so that was my first. It was the first thing I did when I got out here. Massive cast of, of creators from up and down the Bay Area, and so I got to meet a ton of people in that show. Um, and then uh, jumped from that show into a different show, and then right into the pair. Uh, so I did a show with Epic Immersive after that, and then jumped into the show and jumped into working at the pair and, and integrating with that community. Um, I will say I think it's really challenging to find a, a personal community separate from the arts. I think, you know, it takes a long time in an area like the Bay Area where, you know, everything is very spread out. And um, while the community around theater is tight-knit, I think the Bay Area community isn't necessarily, and everyone's sort of in there, seems to me, in their in their respective vacuums, in their bubbles. Um, but I'm lucky in that I got to find a community of artists that I like creating with and um, 
have been connected because I have a passion for diversifying and, and sort of working towards more diversity in the arts. I've been led in the direction of finding folks that are from diverse backgrounds to connect with. And so I think my artistic community is, is pretty strong um, right now, luckily, because I was able to leap into to three pretty large groups that were that had connections in a variety of places. Um, and, you know, still settling into the Bay in many ways. Uh, I hear that it takes, you know, more than a year, especially during quarantine, to, to uh, connect with to, to connect with the area and the community. So I think there's a, a little bit of a road ahead of me there, but you know it's 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 a beautiful place, and I love the the artists in the community that I've been able to connect with, and I'm excited to continue to to build and grow. Back. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And so I was wondering, um, <clears throat> you know, getting back to. Um, Fairfield, um, sort of where where this particular work fits in your season, and um, and and I noticed that uh, that you got a uh, you got an Emmy. Let's see, where was the Emmy at? Um, oh yeah, no, you got oh, a Tony. Got the, you got an honorable mention for the 2019 Tony's Excellence in Education Award. So what is that? <laughs> well, it's student it's student um, voted. So what happens is, if the student I didn't know about it until after the students told me that they had submitted for it, um, and then didn't find out about it for a while. Um, so the students submit a series of videos to to the to the nominating committee, and um, if you get a certain level, you get nominated. I didn't win, um, but I got into the honorable mentions uh, of that of you know I think uh, over a, a thousand entries in the two thousand. To 2019 uh, Tonys, which is really cool. I mean, I had great relationships with my students, and so I feel really good about that. Um, in terms of the season and where Fairfield fits, I mean, we my, the, my goal this season was to represent backgrounds and to tell stories of like the challenges of moving forward and how it always feels like we take you know two steps forward and then maybe one and a half steps backwards, and it's never it doesn't ever feel like our progress is that is on stable ground, to me especially recently. And so this season is all about that. So our first of the season was Elliot's A Soldier's Fuse by Kiara Alagayahudez, which is about three generations of, of, of Puerto Rican soldiers and the cost of, of war on their family. We did Lysistrata with an incredibly all diverse all-female cast. Um, mm-hmm. We did The Path Back to Me. Which is uh, which was two shows, one from the incredible Deborah Ann Bird, the other from the wonderful Anna Marie McLeod, which were two uh, one-woman shows dealing with um, what it's like to experience uh, trauma and, and being a woman and those those sorts of issues. Uh, 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 Full Fathom Five being about uh, uh, the process of, of postpartum depression and what that's like, and then um, becoming a fellow about. Uh, it's called Becoming a Fellow of a Black Girl's Journey about uh, uh, Deborah Ann's experience of, of what it means to be female and black and trying to become this character of Othello as a, as a woman. Um, and so Fairfield is exploring the sort of, the I think, very modern black experience and what it's like there, um, trying to sort of feel out how, how to start that conversation about race in ways that maybe people aren't able to, um, in a way that it accesses the comedy part, like people will laugh and then they're going to be uncomfortable because they don't, they have to reckon with the fact that they laugh and they don't know why they laugh or they wonder if it's okay to laugh. Um, mm-hmm. And I think those are ways to open up this conversation about race in a really interesting way. Um, 
and we'll have uh, a couple of talkbacks and, and all that ticket holders to, to sort of experience that with folks. Um, and then after this, we go to under Milkwood, which are, I have a really interesting interpretation of that script. It's a really classic, beautiful play, but we're going to sort of set it in an interesting way. And then we do falsettos, so falsettos um, and our, our pair slices, which sort of explores new voices. And then falsettos at the end of the season, which talks about, uh, it's purely about the AIDS crisis. And so trying to get a, a breadth of experience about what progress may, may or may not look like in our country. And I think Fairfield is really trying to explore one, the education system, but two, the black system, the, the black experience and how we have this perceived uh, wokeness and perceived uh, move fo moving forward and growth in that area. And maybe we haven't, and asked the question, uh, and poses the idea that maybe we haven't moved forward as well, as, as far as we like to think we have. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a great season. Um. I'm so sad I missed all of it. <laughs> there's more well, behind us than in front of us. Um, I mean, you know, there's like this one and two more or one more? <laughs> uh, there are actually three more. There's there's under oh, the pair slices and then, yeah, okay. we'll, we'll, and falsettos in July. So we're still we're still trucking along. You still have some chance yeah. to catch some of it. And, yeah, well, um, I really love Liz Estrada. I would have loved to see what you all did with that. And then the first one about Puerto Rican um, soldiers, that sounds really fascinating. And then the, the two one-woman um, pieces, I was like, wow. I mean, wow, what a, what a great um, theme, you know, uh, challenges of moving forward. And you didn't even know where, where that meant, right? Like, just moving forward, yeah. and, and here we are. Yeah. You know, we're in 2021. Like, are we going to get through 2020? Like, some of us did. Why yeah. you didn't? Yeah, and you know a lot of, lot of loss and continuing loss, and you know and you know blessings and blessings on those that have have moved to another another terrain, you know, into another dimension because you know can't destroy matter, right? It just transforms. So they're still with us. Um, yeah. 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 Ashe. 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 To their memories. Mm -hmm. But wow. I mean, like. Did you think of this all by yourself? Did you all have a, a theater meeting where you said, "Hmm, what are we gonna? What's gonna be our theme?" Or did was this your? Was this you? <laughs> well, I mean, I brought a lot of really strong ideas. I will never and will never take you know full credit for anything. I think I came with a I came with three different potential slates, and then you know, in com in combination with the steering committee at the pair, some people who I knew I wanted to direct this season and with our board of directors we sort of talked out what was really important to me and then what shows would fit that mold and coming up with the idea of like these all fit together. It's about it's a puzzle, right? It's about saying mm -hmm. uh what voices are here and there are voices missing from this season, absolutely. And you know, next season's our twentieth season and so we're gonna come back bigger and better than ever and so I'm excited for that. But you know, I try to engage as many stakeholders as possible to make sure that we're hearing our voices that uh will resonate with our audience but also with people who maybe have never experienced the pair before and to try to push forward our the conversation in, in a meaningful way. And so to me that includes like talking to members of our patron base, talking to just random people on the street, getting ideas from um, from the from the larger artist community that I've been lucky enough to be a part of and talking to people like Aldo about what work they might be interested in doing and uh, pitching mm -hmm. stuff to them and, and working forward. And that's sort of the process, I think. You know, the more people you engage, the more the better the season will be. And so 
you know, some ideas come from me, some ideas come from a variety of places, and we just sort of try to move forward in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really exciting, and I'm so happy, you know, to know about your theater. Um, I've never been to the pair before, so I was like, oh. And I, I just yeah. love I love theater, and I love learning about new theater. And, you know, the pear, I just love pears. They're so yummy, right? They are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, who doesn't like a pear? Um, what a nice name <laughs> for a street. <laughs> I mean, it's probably way back when there probably were pear orchards around, you know. You know oh, how yeah, the Bay Area sure. was, you know, yeah. one big, you know, there was like, people think Southern California as, you know, where the food grew, but people were growing food all over the dog on California because we got the best weather in the whole whole nation. Absolutely. We, you know, we, we can grow food all through the year, and that's why, you know, hunger is not something that needs to happen in our 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 uh, state because why should be why are people hungry when we got we have all this fertile land? I mean, you know, that's not paved over, unfortunately, but I'm sure there must have been some pear trees <laughs> where there's a pear oh, street. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation, and so. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to say? I I know when I went to your website, um, I was trying it was I was trying to like navigate and I couldn't really figure out how to get around everywhere. Um, and then I was like, oh, there it is. Um, you know, when I would discover something I was looking for. <laughs> um, but I think I noticed that you have some different kinds of like classes and get-togethers and like some fun things happening, even though it's virtual right now. Um, you know, yeah. through the theater, that's not necessarily the main um, stage. And I was wondering if you want to tell our audience about some of these ways that they can become a part of the pair community. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we'd love for people to see Fairfield and all that, and all that. but we also have this uh, pair of reading circles where folks get together once a week and just read plays in the virtual space. We, um, we're doing and, and launching a new set of education programming, both for adults and for students. Um, we have the Pair Playwrights Guild, which is actually launching a, a really cool 10-minute play series, uh, a 10-minute 24-hour play festival um, for diverse uh, writers, and that's on our website as well. Um, and, and it's uh, following us on Facebook and also following our, our joining our newsletter, which you can do from our homepage, is like a really, really great way to stay connected to the Pair. Um, People can also just email info at thepair.org, and I'll just, give the, I'll just add them to the mailing list. I'm happy to do that and connect with people personally. Um, but, yeah, the, the Pair Playwrights Guild um, is a writing group that we have in-house here and, and launching this, uh, 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 this, this uh, 24-hour play festival for, for writers from um, traditionally marginalized backgrounds, and that's going to be super cool. Um, but joining the Fair Playwrights Guild is a great opportunity as well. And then looking into our education programming coming out this spring and this fall, or sorry, this spring and summer for both youth um, and for um, adults if they want to do master classes or writing classes, those sorts of things are always something we're, we're definitely trying to keep active in. And the more we move forward, the more we'll do things like talkbacks and stuff like that, trying to stay as engaged as possible even though we can't meet in person. Um, definitely mm-hmm. joining our mailing list, um, emailing info at the pair dot org, um, or um, just uh, staying tuned on our on our social media on our Instagram page um, at uh, Pair Theater or the Facebook page. If you just search the Pair Theater, you can find it there. All of our uh, newsletters go out on our uh, on our Facebook page as well. So those are the ways oh, people excellent. can get involved and invested. Oh, super, super! Wow. 
Well, this has been really, really lovely speaking to you. And uh, Cindy, and, um, is that is your mom and dad named you this um, different name, Cindy? What what is its meaning? Um, what's the genesis of your name? You know, interestingly enough, I was just named after a volleyball player because my parents were really involved into volleyball and into beach volleyball when I was a kid. My dad especially. Um, okay. And, and I think that's, I mean, that's the, the genesis. It's, it's Middle English shorthand for St. John. Um, oh. And then uh, I'm sure there's a more uh, uh, religious background to the name as well um, in terms of uh, its meaning and, and all of that stuff. Um, but, you know, my, my, my parents will both be really happy that you mentioned and I got to explain my name. It's, I mean, I'm very happy that it's a great name. Uh, people don't forget the name Sinjin when they hear it. So, But, yeah, my parents were really into beach volleyball when I was a kid uh, or when I was about to be born, and so they named me after mm-hmm. Sinjin Smith, the volleyball player. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow, what a nice metaphor, right? You know, you think about volleyball, you know, the idea of keeping it up, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 I love that. I never thought about that, but I I really appreciate that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, gosh, I'm just so enjoying our conversation. So I'm thinking, um, do you want to give us one more poem, like, on the way out? Oh, sure. Um, let me pull my thing back up. Um, let's see. Yeah, cool. And then and then on your website, um, where you um, where I saw that, the film that was said 2000, um, where is that? Oh, here it is, uh, 2020 Real. It's really nice. Um, what, well, thank you. Did you, did you write the music and and direct it? And, like, is all of that you? So, so yeah, it's a compilation of, of, of the film work that I've done in the last oh. few years. Um, it's like so a civil reel. From, ah. Yes, 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 yes. And so that has a, a bunch of clips from films that, um, that, and music videos and stuff that I've done in, in recent times. Um, mm. And then, uh, yeah, I, I got the music. Uh, a friend of mine created that music, which is nice, um, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of put it together and, and edited that to sort of like be a showcase of the film work that I've done in the last couple of years, in the last several years. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, could you send me um, the narrative of like what the what the various film references are? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it'd be nice to know sort of like this is from that one and this is from that one. Yeah, yeah. Because I was trying to like I thought it was all one story, and I'm like, okay, so I'm looking for the resolution. <laughs> trying to pay yes, really yes, close yes. attention. Like, do I see they come around again? Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> But it seemed like, you know, it, it seemed like for some some of, I mean, I'm just in my imagination, right? So, like, oh, I think they worked it out. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. it's cool how our brains connect things. And, I mean, I try to put the shots together in a meaningful way so they tell some sort of story, right? But, um, yeah, I'll send mm-hmm. you the links. Some of those some of those, some of those films are on my website, but some of them are. Um, some of them are not on my website, actually. So I'll send you those, and I'll try to send you links to those full, those full clips as well. Oh, Robert, um, thank you so much. Yeah. So send out with a with a poem. Yes. Um, so I'll read a piece called Cimarron, and this is based on the drive to Silverton from Denver is really beautiful, and um, on the mm. way back I always take Highway 50, 
uh, and to meet Highway 50 onto I-70 down near Grand Junction. Um, so that's going through Olathe um, and uh, up into uh, Grand Junction before turning onto I-70 is one of the most beautiful areas. And so this poem was inspired by that, by like sort of the driving, um, that feeling. It's called Cimarron. Before the wild, rolling hills and big sky, when it rained, it must have been a sight to behold, curtains as far as the eye could see. I wonder how many people traversed here, rocky mountains and mesas, no sign of what comes next, if anything, a desolation of opportunity. Where would they be going? Where would they be coming from? Now, loneliness, driving on Highway 50 in the dark of night, only podcasts and electric vehicles, trails of shuttles clouding cloudless night, moving forward slowly, wondering what would happen if I just let go, drive off the side and into the past, some of it must be untouched still, peaceful patches of ignorance. Then, memory. Bodies buried, were they always here? Scarred land. Those people died here. They tried to escape, but they did not make it. They tried to hide from inevitability. The peace is intact, but their horror is underneath. I can hear the screams. They are deafening. Wow. Wow, I can hear the screams. They are deafening. Wow. Well, yeah, just spending time think thinking about, about yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just thinking about the the native peoples of the land and mm. the taking of that land, but also like all the history that land holds. I don't know. It's a fascinating idea to me. Mhm. Yeah, it's certainly certainly I, I love that. Well, you have these really powerful lines, like they just really just hit you and take your breath away. It's like ooh. <laughs> and and so all all of these in in your in your book, I think you the title was ever. Yeah, and and I'm still sort of finishing the last uh, draft of that up to send it out to publish. It's not out yet, but um, it will be. But hopefully in the next year or so, people will be able to take a look at mm-hmm. that. Um, but you know, it's a process trying to get published, and I'm very early in my publishing journey, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. Uh, wow, well, I'm going to send you an invitation to join us at the uh, 31st Annual Celebration of African American Poets and Their Poetry um, on uh, Saturday, February 6th. So look for that. You can join us. Yeah. And I'd love for you to share some more of your work. Um, and, and definitely keep me posted on, on the state of the manuscript. Like, you know, the top of the state right now. We want to know, we want to watch the state of Kenton Jones' manuscript, right? That is going to be the event. <laughs> I absolutely, and I would love to attend that event. So happy, thank you so much for the invite. Oh, no problem, no problem. Well, thank you for the extended conversation. I'm glad you weren't busy. <laughs> or you, maybe you were, and you just, you know, put them on pause. <laughs> but Always this was, happy gosh, to pass so lovely. Right, I agree. Right, yeah. <laughs> All righty, we take a care and have a wonderful, um, reflective um, Dr. King uh, Memorial Weekend. Thank you, you as well, and it was so wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for your incredible conversation. Oh, you're quite welcome. I'm looking forward to the play next week. Oh, it's going to be so cool. Yes, me too. Yeah. <laughs> i got to finish it, so wish me luck. Uh Luck, yeah, felicitation, you know, <laughs> blessings, blessings, all the everything you need to be able to like get it done Thank the way you. you want it to go. 
<laughs> All right. People All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Bless you. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> ah, that was so lovely. So I'm thinking um, I was going to just go out like that, but I spoke too much. I'm thinking, looking for some music. Um, um, I'm, I'm feeling McLeet. Uh I wanted to have her on this show to talk about her latest project. You know, she's a part of the, um, she's going to be performing with the Kronos uh, Quartet at the uh, In the Name of Love, a musical tribute to Dr. King on Sunday as part of the Living Jazz 19th Annual Event, but it's going to be virtual. So um, I think I'm going um, to play, uh, I like her piece, well, I really like her um her work with uh with with Quinn and um I don't know I don't think my my repertoire for hers is like going way, way back <laughs> uh, in her musical um uh lexicon and I was thinking about walls because you know we need to pull down the walls that divide us, right? Um, because they're not useful. They're not useful at all. So I'm going to play Walls. Thanks so much for joining us. And for information about what's going on around Dr. King's Legacy Weekend, visit wandaspicks.com. And you'll get a few things. Not everything, but a few things. And if I miss something, you know how to get in touch with me. Send me an email, and I will post it. Be be gentle, gentle with me I feel a fragile all this year Be gentle, gentle with me Me and the boys This I counted 10,000 walls around my heart now Can't see my eye walls, my walls Some are made of cardboard and some are made of clay Some are made of memories of that sad, sad day Oh, I know every single one of my My walls, oh I walk amongst them, in between them, shout from on top of them. I I walk amongst them, in between them, shout from on top of my eye. Some hold bones like graveyard stones, like souls in the sea where the summer painted. For missing me
Oh, oh, oh. 